want me to be a little girl? No, but what am I gonna have my little sister? Well, mention it to your father again. I'm all for it. Of course, there's no guarantee it would be a little sister. Why not? Ask your father. I get to go to the toy department. I Adam, don't run ahead. Can I stay here, please? Okay, sweetie, I'll be in the lamp department right around the corner. You know where that is? Yes. Now, Adam, I want you to wait right here, just like the last time. Okay. Okay. I'll be right back. Hollywood, Florida, 33020. Take this to the cashier, and the installers will be there Monday. Thank you for shopping with us. Uh, excuse me, I can't find this lamp. It's supposed to be on sale? Well, they are, but we're sold out. Already? This morning. I'll be glad to order you one. Uh, I have to come back. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, my little boy was here. Yes? Did you see where he went? What did he look like? He's six. He's wearing a red baseball cap, a short sleeve shirt. He was right here by the video games about five minutes ago. He must have wandered off. Go to customer service. They'll page him for you. Where is it? It's over there next to appliances. Uh, if you see him, would you tell him to stay put? Don't move. Oh, don't worry. You'll find him. I'm sorry. Is that all for you today? Good evening and welcome to Reexamined. I am Gino and that is Megan Walsh, the host of Reexamined. Megan, how are you tonight? I think you're muted. So right out the there gate, I 
I'm the one. <laughs> I'm it wasn't me. Yes, it I wasn't me for the first time ever. <laughs> I never do that either. Come on. I know. I know. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Thanks for asking. Excited about this. Uh, I know last week was our premiere show. We just kind of scratched the surface. And we're going to, like we said, we're going to try to keep these shows to about an hour. There will be some uh, Q&A and comment. Uh, time afterwards so think of your questions and comments it doesn't have to pertain to what we're going to discuss tonight but we would prefer that it did uh, but we know that there's a lot a lot of inquiring minds out there right Megan that that just want to know what's going on what's the truth yeah I mean you know we're we're trying to go with the flow here but also have some sort of structure so as I you know really prefaced in the in the first show there's there's a lot of material here it's evolved over the years and you know still affecting present day for those that know the work that I do uh, and that we talk about daily Gino so um, you know we're, we're gonna try and navigate that as best as we can where I think that you know you and I have discussed that you know if there's a certain topic that maybe is correlating that we want to cover for a specific show or things like that so we will be mixing up the format. It won't just be reading all documents, but it's important to uh, start there and point some things out, which leads to tonight's content, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're gonna get into uh, some some of the uh, polygraph reports and affidavits, and these are important, obviously, I mean, because this is right at the genesis of the story. Uh, I mean, this we're talking within, you know, a month, two months of Adam going missing and uh, people being interviewed. The Hollywood Police Department, you know, starting their investigations and inquiries. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously important to start at the beginning. I think many people, this, this story is 40, what, gosh, 42 years old now, 42. right? Yeah, yeah for, hard to believe. Uh, but 42 years ago, this happened. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people, especially ones younger than I am, wouldn't really understand what was going on. I mean, they've heard stories about it. They've seen it on the internet, but I think it's important to go through it step-by-step step just so people understand. Um, and they can make their own decisions about what happened to Adam. Absolutely, Gino. Um, you know, that's, I've been very vocal about that and, and something I touched on again in the first episode. Uh, you know, none of us were there, obviously. And so, you know, what, these are opinions we're reviewing. We want the viewers to engage with us uh, and give us your opinions. Uh, you know, people are great researchers out there. And I've gotten, you know, since the last uh, episode last week, I've gotten great, you know, information sent to me and different leads and, and things pointed out. So, you know, that's why we're here. Um, you know, again, I think that after 42 years, a lot has changed in our country. And, uh, you know, again, as I, as I always say, uh, we're facing a big issue of navigating uh, narrative versus truth, uh, especially from media and especially things that, you know, were, were platformed up to then affect how we live today. Um, and so I think that it is important for us to be looking at this very controversial case since the day it happened. Uh, I'm not the first one by by any means to question, uh, you know, what is actually going on here. Uh, and so to, you know, have these records and be so fortunate to have all of these records uh, to go over, I think is really important for people to relook at it 
how would we view this, uh, you know, from today's perspective? And, and then again, keeping in mind what, you know, the things that came out of this case, how that affects each and every one of us today. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important. I, this is like, I think we mentioned this last week. I mean, this is really the origins of, you know, kids going missing and it being national news and Amber Alerts and National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It, it led up to all of these different protocols and agencies, government run programs, new and, laws and, and legislation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but in societal, you know, perspectives and, and things like that, that we really need to be looking at nowadays, it might be hard to question things, or it might look like, you know, oh my gosh, how dare you question that stuff. But, you know, when we're talking about, you know, again, we have to remind ourselves and we have to remember everyone that's here that this is about the protection of our children to be asking NGOs, our government, uh, other organizations, especially ones that, you know, receive our taxpayer money or expect donations or gain our trust in general. Uh, we need to be asking questions. We need to be uh, looking and saying, where are your results? Uh, you know, are you truly protecting, you know, children? Are these, you know, acts and laws and legislation that you're passing as we've found in other legislation, you know, maybe a bill is passed, but there's other, you know, agendas, you know, slipped into that bill. Uh, you know, so there's various, there's, there's a lot of aspects as we know, but again, when we can go to the Genesis, as you so wonderfully put it to, uh, you know, really giving a platform to uh, children's issues, you know, in our, in our country. And that's a lot of what Adam's case did. And, and as a result of his case, I, I also always give honor to the other cases that were surrounding Adams, but Adams was really immediately put on this national mainstream media platform. And, you know, that kind of leads me to before we get into the affidavits and polygraphs, um, I would like to take a brief, I mean, we've done podcasts on this. People can go watch Awake Nation, uh, used to be the Dark Outpost here on Rumble uh, from about, what was it, Gino, two years ago now. Uh, I was I was on with David yep. Zublick and Penny Shepard. Uh, Penny has done amazing research. She was doing it before even I was on my father and my parents. And, uh, and, you know, that's another big point of this. That's a, that's a reason why we are going back to the records, because I feel like that narrative is able to be created, especially when the public and the mainstream are given such an emotionally charged, horrific scenario to have to kind of cognitively wrap their heads around, which really perpetuated that stranger danger, uh, you know, in these concepts that we see now that maybe we should be questioning, you know, what that original reasoning was that we let slide by that maybe isn't really protecting children and maybe actually endangering um, our children. So I, you know, I want to go back to this and, and really look at, you know, what the, the, the situation was. Again, we just want to get the, the information out. We want the viewers to, you know, have their opinion. Uh, there's obvious reasons why I'm in the situation that I'm in now uh, with my life and my children uh, for questioning this. Um, and so, you know, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll give a little background and we can get going. How's that sound? Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I think all the measures that have been put in place since since Adam's disappearance uh, have led to some, you know, the questionable things. 
lots of questionable things. I guess I'll just leave it at that. And, and I think a lot of people within the last year to two years are starting to wake up to some of this stuff. It's, it's not at a scale I'd like to see, and I know definitely you, not the scale you want to see, Megan, especially with, uh, in light of what's going on with your own family. Um, but we need massive awareness of what's happening with children in this country under all these different auspices, like, you know, I mean, CPS, adoption, foster care, uh, even in your schools, medical kidnapping. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on with children that can be directly linked back to some of these things 40 years ago. Um, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. We just want to open some eyes. And, and you guys, like Megan said, uh, you can make the decision. You can look at it and say, okay, yeah, I can see how that connects. Or maybe you don't see the connection. That's up to you. You know, we all have our own free will to decide. So what do you say we get into it, Megan? You want to start with yeah. uh, your dad's polygraph? Well, just for a minute before we pull anything sure. up again, like I said, I'd like to give a little bit of oh, background. Sorry. Yeah. I think, as I was saying, we kind of uh, digressed a little bit. It's late, guys. But, uh, you know, we we were given this emotional situation that really, you know, when, especially when you're hearing it's dealing with children, uh, you know, it leads one not to necessarily question everything that, that they might. Um, and so I think that going back and, and looking at these things that we can really dissect and say, okay, well, this perspective was going on. This was of the times, you know, this didn't add up. Uh, you know, this person was saying this, but the other person was saying that. And, and so I think that it's very interesting, like most of all, to, and what really got me in this mess was thinking, what is, no one really asked the question, who are John and Ravey Walsh, you know, when this happened, they were, you know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. And we've got amazing people in the chat right now. I keep looking over and, and thank you everyone for joining. Um, but, you know, when we, when we are looking at these records and we don't really, or excuse me, this case, we don't really look and ask who were these people before and when this child went missing or disappeared? What was their lifestyle? Who were they affiliated with? You know, what were they involved in? Um, who were they in terms of character? Um, and so that was a big thing for me because knowing my family, obviously growing up with them and knowing, you know, the behind closed doors versus public persona uh, truths, uh, you know, that did make me start questioning and saying, really noticing, you know, this was, you know, put out in mainstream. They were on Good Morning America. They were on all these different shows as really even from my perspective, I'll, I'll say that, a very all-American family, you know, working class, all-American, that sort of a, a thing. And all of a sudden their son goes missing at the mall. When actually, you know, my father's quite bold to always say, you know, I was a hotel executive uh, before I, you know, got into, you know, before my son went missing. And then I, you know, went into legislation, America's Most Wanted and all of that. Um, but he's very clear to say that. And we do know that obviously he was working at the Diplomat Hotel uh, down in Hollywood, Florida at the time. He uh, then he was working for a gentleman by the name of John Monahan, uh, who was a hotel exec of the Diplomat Hotel. He had, uh, you know, children of his own, one of them being uh, Michael Monahan which you can actually Google him. And he was later um, did prison time for extortion and kidnapping later in life. And we'll get to some records and takes later, um, especially in the episode regarding my brother's 
remains that were found, uh, you know, he comes up and, and some very uh, concerning uh, narratives or, you know, situations that are taken into account and written down in the police records. So we'll get to those. But he, Michael Monahan was John Monahan's son. John Monahan was uh, the executive of the Diplomat Hotel, one of them who was my father's boss. And he kind of took my father under his wing. Um, and, you know, after speaking with one of his other sons, Tommy uh, Monahan, I actually, you know, a lot of revelations came about. I was able to ask, you know, about this lifestyle and about his father um, and, you know, looking at the history of the diplomat, the associations, uh, Penny was great to look into John Monahan's background, which involves a lot of empty Cessna planes and a lot of Irish mob looking activity um, and specifically, you know, related to the Bahamas. So then we see my father going from the diplomat hotel to then being in, on the out island board in the Bahamas and working specifically on a hotel uh, project on Paradise Island, uh, which for those of you history, you know, history is very important in this, um, but Paradise Island was also Resorts International. That's also Meyer Lansky. That's also CIA. So, um, you know, very interesting history there and things going on you know, at that time, this is late 70s, you know, well, 70s, you know, throughout and then early 80s, obviously, Adam uh, disappeared in 81. So we've got that history of my father then going back and forth working with John Monahan and others within the hotel industry and bringing groups of people for conventions within the hotels um, and things of that nature. So, you know, a hotel executive is not exactly a you know, hard working class, you know, blue collar kind of uh, lifestyle. And, and, you know, we've found that, you know, from digging and, and knowing my father and, and all of that, we know that their lifestyle was very, you know, my mother would brag about her husband being the hotel exec at the gym. And, and my father, you know, was out the police records say he was out sleeping with anything with legs, you know, and things of that nature. So it was very much a Hollywood lifestyle in ironically Hollywood, Florida at the time. So when you're looking at that, we're looking at the history of the area. We're looking at the history of the hotel where he would work, the history of what the hotel business is. You know, these are the things that I, I personally took into account when starting to review these records. Um, and then also, of course, the big impact of the Sears case where my parents uh, tried to sue Sears department store after uh, Adam went missing. Uh, and then they ultimately dropped the case because the judge refused to omit uh, James Campbell's statements, who James Campbell is, uh, was the uh, significantly younger live-in lover of my mother uh, at the time and, and the time leading up to Adam's disappearance. So there he is. And uh, Apparently he was a wild guy. He was a uh, biker and, and wild guy. And actually how my father met him was by the pool at the Diplomat Hotel. Uh, he was Michael Monahan, who I brought up earlier, the son of the uh, hotel executive of my father's boss. It was his you know, childhood buddy that would be at the hotel and, and running around the pool. He was about 12 or 13 years old. We know when my father actually met him 
And then we see uh, at around 19, he's named Adam's godfather. You know, my parents named a 19-year-old the godfather of Adam. Uh, then we see him move in with my parents or, you know, his early 20s um, and, and is cohabitating with them where, you know, if you pull that back up uh, with James Campbell up there, there's a great quote from him that's very interesting. We'll read it again later. But he says, I was Adam's father, his brother, his uncle, his best friend, James Campbell. So. When we start to look at these and we'll go over them and we'll talk about it afterwards, I don't want to go into too much, you know, right now, but we, I really want people to be looking at what is revealed in these, uh, you know, in these affidavits and these polygraphs. These are, again, a polygraph, I will say is not permissible in court, but yet it was used to, you know, it, within a week or less clear, you know, the three closest people to this child that suddenly went missing. So, um, you know, just listen with discernment and, and we'll go over these documents and get to Q&A and, and move right along. Uh, I'm going to add one more piece of information. As an 11-year-old Midwestern boy in 1981, the element of fear spread across this nation like a tidal wave. I mean, I remember neighbors talking about it, kids staying inside for a few days, like you weren't allowed to go to the playground. Um, if you went to the mall, you were like, you know, pretty much on a leash with your mom or dad. Like it, it created this level of fear uh, amongst parents that this nation probably had never seen up until that point. I mean, there had been stories of missing kids, but but not at this level. Yeah. Well, I agree. And what we're seeing now is that since this has happened, it's been put on this platform in a national effort, if you will. The issue has increased by five to six hundred percent. So obviously that, you know, if we were talking business, that's a failing business by an extreme. So, um, you know, and it did affect how we raised our children, how children grew up. You know, I was like the last one, you know, allowed to be dropped off at the movies by myself, you know, and things like that, or you know, like everyone brings up the bikes and stuff. And, you know, that's again, another big reason why we are doing this, why I do what I do aside from, you know, ending domestic child trafficking, but why I do what I do in terms of revisiting my brother, you know, wanting people to not just with my case or with this case, but in general, to be able to start looking back and use discernment and ask different questions, become the observer of something. So, you know, I think that a big part of this is looking back at that and, and really asking those questions. I think that's important. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's, let's get into, you want to, open it up now megan or you want to hold on another minute yeah you can go ahead i was just looking at the okay. chat while you do yep. that um let's see so the first the first polygraph is your father john walsh this is on august 7th 1981 this is right out of the police uh files southern institute of polygraph captain robert mowers hollywood police department 3250 hollywood boulevard hollywood florida dear captain mowers as per your request on Friday, August 7th, 1981, an extensive interview and specific polygraph examination was conducted on Mr. John Walsh. Said polygraph examination was conducted to determine if, in fact, he was criminally involved in or had guilty knowledge as to who was responsible for the abduction of his son, Adam Walsh, which occurred on or about July 27th, 1981. 
Prior to said examination, a pretest interview was conducted. The following are excerpts from this interview. Mr. Walsh stated that he was born in upstate New York and is one of four children. He identified his father as being a very sincere and loving man who graduated from the University of Notre Dame. During World War II, he was a fighter pilot and decorated war hero. His mother was also born and raised in upstate New York and came from a prominent family. She was the class president and his parents were high school sweethearts. While attending a private Catholic high school, he participated and excelled in all sports and academically, he had no problems. After graduating from high school, he enrolled at the University of Buffalo and considered himself an All-American college student during his first two years of study there. During his last two years of study, he became active in the anti-Vietnam movement and felt very rebellious against the then president, Nixon. He said he let his hair grow and experimented with an assortment of illegal drugs and narcotics. On three occasions, he tried LSD, smoked marijuana, and experimented with cocaine and mescaline. Now, Gino, would you just reread the, those last couple yeah. sentences sure. there? Sure. Yeah, they do seem to be pertinent, don't they? Uh, was, uh, during his last two, two years of study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he became act active in the anti-Vietnam movement and felt very rebellious against then-President Nixon. He said he let his hair grow and experimented with an assortment of illegal drugs and narcotics. On three occasions, he tried LSD, smoked marijuana, and experimented with cocaine and mescaline. Now, Megan, um, quick question. You just muted. Oops, sorry, I hit the button on my accident. <laughs> Um, I think last week we talked about this a little bit. How old was your father when Adam went missing? Uh, he was in his 30s, so he was, okay. you know, 35, something like that. I don't know exactly. James okay. Campbell was 25 uh, when Adam went missing. My father was, you know, my parents were both in their early 30s to mid 30s. And when my father, it says there that he went to, he attended the University of Buffalo uh, my mother was from Clarence, uh, which is right outside of Buffalo, and they actually met when my mother was 16 and my father was 22. Okay, so let's assume, I mean, he's sowing his oats in his, you know, late teens, early 20s probably. So it's it's not too far removed from being a parent, this mm -hmm illicit drug use and some of this rebellious behavior so we're just yeah, i mean that was showing. and that was a thing yeah. i mean my parents mm -hmm. went to woodstock you know this is again mm -hmm. paying a lifestyle versus this you know suit and people thinking he's law enforcement and all of that not to say that you know that's not okay people evolve and you know he obviously went into a role that he you know was playing you know and had to for for you know the work he was doing but, you know, we have to be looking at the lifestyle again of, you know, it's just a it's just a point to bring up. It's him in his own admission and in an interview uh, for Adam's, you know, case and disappearance. Um, it seems like a lot of information to me. I will be honest. It seems almost like a resume until the end, maybe an FBI resume or something where you have to tell every bad thing that you've done at the end after your accomplishments. I don't know. OK, I, I digress, guys. So um and keep going was that the i don't think that was the end of it so no but i i'm glad you brought up that point because i was thinking as i was reading i'm like why is all this information like pertinent to adam's disappearance like i didn't understand that but you know yeah. I'm, i guess they're just trying to get a background on him and all that so okay you want to go ahead and read uh just Megan, or... observations we're asking yeah just questions. observations we're yes making observations did you want to uh, continue reading or you want me to it's yeah, up to you fine. it says um this is page two 
Mr. Walsh expressed great love and respect for his father and said, oh, sorry, got a pop up, guys, uh, and said as much of an American his father was, he thought he would it, uh, he would offend him by expressing his anti-Nixon, so anti-Nixon and Vietnam sentiments uh, against war, anti-Nixon, anti-establishment. On one occasion, after confiding with his father, he remembers his father telling him that he also did not think that the war was just and he would not be disappointed in his son if he went to Canada and refused the draft. Rather, and we'll we'll hear about that later. I heard this story my entire life. We'll get to that when we read the polygraph. Um, rather than avoiding the draft, he and his brother Jimmy acknowledged their draft notice, but both failed their physical examinations and were classified for F. Subject stated that he uh, has an 80% hearing loss to his left ear due to injuries that he received while playing hockey. Okay, so it got brought up before the polygraph. This hockey thing, maybe I missed something my entire life, but I never heard of my father playing hockey in my life. I heard this story a million times, and he said that it was a busted eardrum from uh, boxing, that he was a boxer, hmm. and that he busted his eardrum boxing. Uh, so whether he's lying here or lying for the rest of his life, I'm not sure. Uh, but that does come up in, in a polygraph test that he did, you know, was deemed to have passed. So that's something to look at, right? So um, let's see. At age 21, he met his wife, who was then 17 years old. That's not true. Okay. And attending her senior year <laughs> in high school. At the time, he belonged to his college fraternity and had many girlfriends. And this is a theme. Uh, for those of you who know background, the Globe cover, uh, the Larry King episode on my birthday, admitting he's a sex addict, uh, the mistresses, all of that, this carries through. Uh, but for some reason, he was attracted to his wife and they both felt it was love at first sight. After graduating from college, he moved to South Florida. Actually, my mom dated somebody else after they met, and the guy asked her to marry him. And then my dad came in and said, no, I want you to be with me. So she denied the proposal as the inside <laughs> scoop to that. Uh, Joe, somebody, I forget his name. Uh, after graduating from college, he moved to South Florida and found employment at the Diplomat Hotel, which is located in Hollywood, Florida. A gentleman by the name of Jeff O'Regan who, uh, you know, he's still good friends with. Jeff O'Regan ended up owning a bridge cleaning company. Um, he actually was one of the first people, I believe it was through Mayo, to have the Whipple procedure done. Uh, so he's, you know, kind of got some accolades behind him. He also went to Notre Dame, I believe. Uh, who was his good friend that he knew from college, was working as a lifeguard at the Diplomat and was able to find him a job as a beach boy and lifeguard. Uh, while there, he had uh, he had occasion to come into contact with a very wealthy man by the name of Mr. Monahan. So that's what we learn about Monahan. He had this whole entire lifestyle. He and his wife, um, you know, they were living it up. We're thinking diplomat hotel. We have to think about this was diplomats and celebrities. You know, my dad would talk about Liza Minnelli and the doors and everyone coming to stay there, going through it. Um, I asked Monahan's son 
a couple of questions. I had asked him, you know, did your father have a relationship with the Hollywood Police Department? Now, the Hollywood Police Department was actually located right across the street from where Adam disappeared at the Sears Mall. And so I asked him if his father, by any chance, had an, any, you know, affiliations with the Hollywood Police. And his response was, well, of course he did. Uh, it was like a barter system, basically. You know, if we have celebrity hotel guests or anything like that, and say someone gets pulled over drunk driving or caught with drugs or, you know, a, a hooker or something, you know, they would be like, hey, you know, let this one off and we'll give you a suite for the night, you know, for the weekend hmm. or, you know, uh, let, let this one slide and you can come to this VIP party this weekend, you know, or something like that. So it was very much, you know, a, a barter system there. Uh, and, and so we need to keep that in mind, uh, as well as the lifestyle of people coming in and out of that space. And my father starting here, as we see, uh, you know, as a beach boy and a lifeguard, a cabana boy, actually, is how he started um so he you know here it says a wealthy man by the name of mr monahan uh, my parents also lived with john monahan and his wife for certain periods of time different people would uh which was interesting different couples would live on the property with them he had staff and, and different things uh who at that time uh had business dealings with the Dip diplomat hotel on one particular day he saved the life so they're talking about my father the life of Mr. Monahan's son, who is Michael that I referred to, who was drowning while swimming in the ocean. So this was another, you know, story we always heard, uh, take on how my father went from cabana boy to hotel, you know, marketing and, and all of that that he was doing in administration was that he, you know, John Monahan's son, Michael, was drowning or stuck in a in one of the drainage pipes and that my father put the scuba gear in his mouth and, you know, saved him from the drainage pipe and John Monahan uh, gave him a job, you know, uh, gave him a promotion and, and put him in that position. And let's just, for a second, let's discuss that. Like, cause I mean, I, I could see that happening, you know, if, if that event happened, but has this ever been documented? I mean, is there, is there anything in the newspapers, the local papers that John Walsh saved somebody that day, uh, you know, young lifeguard runs out into ocean and risks his own life to save, you know, billionaires or millionaires son. I mean, is, is there any of that? I... There, I, we have yet to find any actual proof. It, can't, it seems to be a theme between this case and my case. Uh, there's not a lot of actual evidence of things. So uh, that's something to, again, pay attention to. And, and we're just, you know, looking again at different perspectives and asking the questions here. So it's good for us to take everything into account. So um, let's see. I'm going to check over before we continue real quick on chat. Uh, all right. I don't know. Part of moving. Sorry, my chat's cut off. Gina, do you see anything you want to? Uh, Megan, I don't know if you even mentioned this, but were your parents part of child moving play on words? I understand if you can't answer. So that's kind of, you know, that's a great question. That's yeah. kind of what we're, you know, wondering. That's, that's one of the factors that we are taking into account. Um, you know, when we go back in the history and we'll come up in other episodes about it, but, um, probably the next one, I would say maybe the next one or two episodes, but really again, that history is always going to be 
coming up for us. I think that maybe we'll have to start each episode maybe or something with that and then go into documents like we did tonight. But, um, you know, looking at the things that, you know, not just the other cases like Eton Pats and things that were going on around Adam's case, but also um, other things like the Finders cult, the Franklin scandal, the McMartin case, uh, Satanic panic. Uh, you know, again, that stranger danger Co that came out of it. So cocaine what? cowboys, <laughs> cocaine, cocaine cowboys. cowboys, and then, and then, just like you said in the beginning, going back to uh, Resorts International. I mean, that's yeah. there, there's a lot of nefarious activity that's happening. You had mentioned the, the Cessnas and. Um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to dig into that at another point. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, kind and of the also, objective of what we're looking at. We're, yeah. we're trying to figure out what was going on. What is being, is anything being trafficked, drugs, human beings, you know, and you name it. I mean, we don't know. We're just reading through the evidence and trying to figure it out. And when a little boy suddenly goes missing from a mall and the narrative for 42 years is that three of the nation's you know, largest serial killers were maybe, maybe not, you know, locked up, but say they were there. I mean, and that's what the, you know, the media and the authorities, you know, want us to just be okay with or to go along with. I mean, I don't know who the conspiracy theorists are here since everyone likes to throw that around for looking <laughs> at history and questioning things these days. But, you know, I, I, I think that, 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 you know, is something to, to think about. Um, let's see. Psychopaths are exceptionally good at believing their own lies so much that they, they can easily pass a lie detector mm, test. Absolutely. Yes. And you just brought up cocaine cowboys and we're talking about the history of the, the area and the time. And that's also what will prompt me to bring notice to who is doing these polygraph tests is a gentleman by the name of Joe Matthews. And he was actually brought in from the Miami Homicide Department, uh, not within the Hollywood Police Department, uh, to do these. And he actually was already, you know, involved in teaching agencies, techniques, and, and different things like that regarding his specialty, which was uh, nonverbal interrogation techniques and, and various things to that nature, which then also we'll see in the records when we look. He's not only doing the uh, polygraphs, but he's also ordering my mother and I believe James and some of the other witnesses like the security guard to be hypnotized. And when I asked my parents about that, like who ordered my mother to be hypnotized and why were you guys being hypnotized and all of that, especially with my background in healing and, you know, the new age I left and all of that, knowing about hypnosis and being sent, you know, that's other and other reasons why I know about that. Um, and, you know, you just just from knowing that kind of stuff, it didn't really add up. I'll, I'll you know, stop there. But that really seemed to hit a nerve with them. And so that was going on while they're looking for Adam in this week. But also why I brought that up is because the the Hollywood, uh, excuse me, the Miami Homicide Department at that time was actually just busted for, uh, I believe it was two of their, their detectives or deputies working with the mob. So they were, you know, in, had infiltrated uh, and, you know, wanted to be mobsters over, you know, deputies, I guess, or detectives. And so they have been busted for actually working with uh, the mob down there. At that time, we've got, you know, again, cocaine cowboys, Blanco, you know, all of this is going on around that time as well. So. And, and I do want to mention that Matthews became quite good friends with your father as the years passed by and uh, yeah. nice little relationship there. 
after. Yeah, we see him contact my father later after my father is mm -hmm. on America's Most Wanted things and remind my father of who he was. And then he reopens Adam's case, which yeah. we'll get into. And he's the big proponent towards directing that narrative of uh, Otis Tool killing Adam. And he's made great gains from it. Yes, he has. Since. Sure has. A couple. I think he's got a couple books and some other uh, things Fox out there. Appearances, CNN. We'll, we'll get in. We could do a whole show on Mr. Matthews. We, well, we, we will. We We're will. Start, we'll start profiling people. Don't worry. Yeah. After we kind of set a you little know, bit here. So. The, the hypnosis thing, I wasn't sure if we were going to touch on it tonight or not. But since you went there, you know, it's highly suggestive when you've put somebody in that state of mind. And let's just say it's, it's a mixed bag of history and uh, medical prognosis from coming from hypnosis therapy. I've read all kinds of stuff on it. I've seen things. I mean, just go watch magicians for crying out loud. If, if these guys are well, doing then, it on then, stage. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mean to cut you off, but then also before I forget, then we've got later when they're doing the search for Adam, they're using psychics. Like the only yeah. people that I know that right. use psychics were right. like the CIA. So, you know, <laughs> uh, like, and then we've got Tim Ballard, you know, covering that oh, he yeah. used psychics and stuff too. Oh. So I, you know. We're, I'm, we're yeah. the loopy ones, guys, so yeah. just keep that in mind here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over on Foxhole West, good to see you, bro. Good to see you, man. Always good to see you. Tweak yeah. gave us a can. Thanks for the can, Tweak. Uh, said, if you guys aren't on community.purebloodtv uh, backslash and then their TV guy, then you need to be. Oh, thanks. I don't, I'm not, I've never heard of it, but I'll, I'll take that yeah. as a compliment, I think. Yeah, you should look into it. <laughs> thank you guys yeah. for the and uh, one two three skg thank you for the cancer always good to see you kane chris is out there good to see you joyful june good friend joyful june is out there watching Aww. over on the foxhole love y'all okay yeah. let's uh go ahead we were in this uh let me let me scroll up a little bit megan you were at uh let's see drowning while swimming in the ocean soon after this incident on july 10th 1971 mr john walsh married his wife Rave. And as a wedding gift, Mr. Monahan gave them a six-week paid vacation in Europe. Wow. That's nice. Right. Um, after they returned from Europe, Mr. Walsh was offered a job mis uh, from Mr. Monahan, which paid 12000 annually. Now, let's see. In 80, like 1980, what would that have been? 12000 Not much, really. Maybe 30000 a year? Yeah, something maybe like 30000 something. Um, a lot of perks. A lot of perks. Perks. Lots of perks, yes. Right? That's, These, yeah. This generation, yeah. This, this certain club of men, I guess I'll just put it that way. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> uh, lots of two laid creatures out there, too, Megan, at that, yeah. uh, with those perks. Even though Mr. Walsh had to take a cut and pay, he saw the future in working with Mr. Monahan and his company known as GAC. After two more years of employment, Mr. Monahan had a falling out with GAC, and since Mr. Walsh's loyalty was to Mr. Monahan, he also quit the company. I'll let you continue, Megan. Mr. Walsh immediately found employment with Out Island Promotion Board, as I mentioned earlier, and he found his job very rewarding. Not so much financially, but the acquiring of experience in the hotel business. Um, my father had photos of him and Burt Reynolds uh, diving, you know, uh, very glamorously in the Bahamas prior to Adam going missing or him being on TV or any of that. Um, 
he would actually, he always said that he would, he and his Bahamian dive partner Garfield uh, would supply, they would do late night dives, uh, deep sea dives late at night, and they supplied the resorts in the Bahamas with their uh, seafood, is what he would say. So uh, cool. a little side note there, you can bring that back up. Um, <clears throat> okay. It says, um, found it very rewarding, not so much financially, but the acquiring of experience in the hotel business. In 1976, he resigned his position with, his, with this company and was offered a position with Diversified Marketing Company. He uh, received stock in this company and was partners with a gentleman by the name of Warren Binder. Uh, subject stated that Mr. Binder was the type of man who would work seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. And after being with him for a period of time, he realized that he was depriving his family by spending all of his time at work and none at home. Uh, after discussing this with Mr. Binder, they separated in good terms and he accepted employment with Hotel Management Association, Inc., so he's, you know, we see him moving to all these different uh, companies, which right. is a company out of Houston, Texas. So he was doing a lot of work even after uh, Adam disappeared. Houston was the hub. Uh, we also know Texas. We know Bush. We know mm -hmm. Henry Lee Lucas. Um, a lot of uh, Texas uh, connections there. Our first dog was Houston because he was there working when we got it. His company also, which is ironic that it says earlier that he was leaving because he wanted to spend more time with his family. Um, they separate in good terms. He accepted employment, sorry, excuse me, which is a company out of Houston, Texas. This company also owns and manages Houston Grand and Greer Glass. A large portion of the financial backing into this company comes from Saudi Arabia. That's, that's nothing. Nothing peculiar that. about that. Yeah. So we've got anti Nixon. We've got Saudi Arabia. Let's fast forward to, you know, after Adam, we've got Reagan and Iran Contra, you know, just, just putting some things out there history wise. Uh, since his employment with Hotel Management Association, Inc., he has been able to spend a considerable amount of time with his wife and child. Uh, Okay, subject stated on his 10th anniversary, he gave his wife a half carat diamond ring, which she, which she always wanted, and he was able to attend every sport event that his son participated in, specifically t-ball games. Uh, and for the first time, he felt a strong unity between his wife, child, and himself for the first time. Wow, After first time in 10 years? For the first Is that time. What it's wow, okay. After, a father, after his father passed away, he brought his mother, brother, who is 22 years old, and sister, who is 30 years of age, to South Florida. Uh, since his mother has never had to work and is on a fixed income, he gives her $300 per month to help pay expenses. Uh, Mr. Walsh said that his wife is not aware of the fact that he gives his mother. Oops, sorry any money so he says that my mother is not aware that he gives his mother money this was an issue my entire life um but feels obligated to do this and does not feel that his wife should give an opinion as to whether or not it is necessary or justified 
At this time during the interview, Mr. Walsh became emotional concerning the pressure that has been on him in reference to caring, to the caring for his family and the supporting of his mother. He stated that he feels personally obligated to help everyone, especially family members, which that's true. I mean, that was always, again, a huge stress. And again, this is setting up, mm. this is what's going on for him at this time and leading up to this. Besides giving his mother $300 a month, he has given his younger brother a job and pays him a decent salary. And whenever he and his wife have a family outing, they include his mother, brother, and sister, and he pays all the expenses. He said at that time, this is like reminding me of what like Hunter Biden's like, I pay for dad and like I pay for everybody. Sorry. Okay. I digress. Um, uh, let's see, brother and sister, and he pays for all expenses. He said at times he feels he is being taken for granted, but after expressing this to this examiner, a feeling of guilt came over him and he said he really does not mean it. He loves his family very much. So there's this moment of guilt. He's, he's, you know, confiding. Then there's a moment of guilt. And then he says, no, I, you know, he loves his family very much. And since this is the first time he has had a chance to express himself, he's letting everything out, even though he does not mean it. Mr. Walsh was asked if during his marriage, he has ever had a personal relationship with a woman other than his wife. He responded that he has always liked women and enjoys their company. <laughs> he further stated that he could honestly say that up until two years ago, there was a time when he did extensive travel and he had many occasions to spend time with females that he had just met. But the relationship was only for the physical part and nothing transpired because of these relationships. He stated that for the past two years, since he has spent less time working, he found, which that, that was the exact thing when he came out as the sex addict and they started the 10 year divorce proceeding was that he's on the road. These women give him attention, you know, it's just physical. And meanwhile, they're calling the house and they have apartments and, you know, they're filing restraining orders against him. Um, okay. So, uh, sorry, you scrolled around. So let me find it. He, uh, he's, he stated that for the past two years, uh, since he has spent less time working, he found that his relationship with his wife has improved and he became closer to his son, Adam. When asked specifically if during his marriage he ever had a serious girlfriend, he responded, yes, approximately five years ago. He considered this young lady his girlfriend, but she is now happily married and they haven't dated for at least five years. He stated since his son's disappearance, he was contacted by her through a third party and she asked if there was anything she could do to help. Mr. Walsh stated, so that's friendly, Mr. Walsh stated that he <laughs> believes his wife has always been very loyal to him and his son. Okay. Hmm. All right. Remember who James Campbell is, guys. Mm -hmm. she yeah, I... That's exactly what I was just thinking of, but I don't know. If, should we touch on that right now before we? Well, I mean, I, I think also for me, again, I, I'm speaking my opinion as well. We're reading that mm -hmm. stuff, you know, blatantly, whatever, but also we are people here that have been looking at this stuff and that's, you know, what we want to talk about. But, um, you know, yeah, for, for this to be, it, it's in general, again, going back to that, 
what is the lifestyle and everything they were actually living versus what was put out to the public, this all American, you know, uh, I, I feel like this is, this would be, this would be aiding in setting that tone, setting that narrative and, and mm -hmm. that, you know, dynamic to be put out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, real quick, Tanya in the rumble chat. Sorry, I was clicking the mute on and off, but I have a fan running right next to me and I don't want it to like be too loud. I'm not sure if you guys can hear it or not. My computer fans broke two days ago. I have no idea why. So I got to keep this thing cool. Otherwise, we're not going to have a show. Um, also, I have two parakeets that like to chirp all the time in the background, which drives people nuts. And I have a son playing his Oculus that is super loud. So I'm trying to be respectable to, <laughs> to audience and to Megan. So that's why I keep doing that. Sorry. Got that. I, okay. Hey, if I turn mine off, it's because my dog is doing something. Weird. So got it. everyone's got something. Um, but we'll, we'll try Tanya. That's so cute. Okay. Uh, all right, so where are we? Um, it says uh, he reiterated the fact that she is very close to his son, Adam, and loves him very much. No, and wait, both he on. and his wife. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, that was my yeah. bad. Just yeah, are very protective. Where, I'm, a, I'm a jerk. I can't find where we are. <laughs> Here, let me scroll Let me scroll up to Put Mr. Your Walsh. Put your on it. Put your cursor okay. on it. Right there, Mr. Walsh. Okay, Mr. Walsh described his wife as being a very loyal and understanding woman who at the present time is active in bodybuilding. She recently, just recently, and we'll, we'll see other accounts of her bodybuilding and, you know, her demeanor at the gym and everything like that. Just recently, she participated in a bodybuilding tournament and came out third place, which was a pleasant surprise to everyone. She's also attending Broward Community College, majoring in interior design. Uh, which she did not finish. She attends day classes several days a week. He said she has always worked for her schedule so she could, Oop. or excuse me. Well, oh, what, what happened? Tanya, no, <laughs> back. What the heck? Oops. Sorry, I must have clicked on her name on accident. Sorry about that. Oh my gosh. That That's was okay. weird. I've never done that before. Okay, sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Uh, uh, community college, several, she attends day classes several days a week. He said she has always worked her schedule so that she could take Adam to school in the morning and pick him up in the afternoon. Mr. Walsh stated that she has told uh, him on several occasions that two or three of the male students have come on to her in a very pleasant way, which did not offend her, but she let it be known that she was happily married. Uh, when Mr. Walsh was asked if he recalled any discussions with his wife concerning her purchasing a lamp at Sears, he recalled that at least a month or two prior to going to Sears, she had made it known uh, that she had wanted a particular type of lamp. Uh, this lamp is very big in this story. Uh, they had priced this lamp at another store, and it was almost twice the price that Sears sold it for. They waited until Sears had the lamp on sale, and he recalled seeing the lamp in a magazine of some type. And that also brings up the point, like a sale, you know, pre and we'll see in later affidavits and future shows, people's accounts of that day with the sale and it being very chaotic that day when it normally wouldn't have been uh, any other day. Uh, you moved it on me again, Gino. Sorry, well, I... Th it's, I think it's different on your screen. Okay, so it's uh, they had they had 
They, I hear. I'll finish it. They, they had priced this lamp at another store, and it was almost twice the price that the Sears sold, sold it for. They waited until Sears had the lamp on sale, and he recalled seeing the lamp in a magazine of some type. He gave the ad to his wife and remembered on the night prior to his son's disappearance, they discussed the fact that she was going to Sears to buy the lamp. It was the first day of the sale when she and Adam went to Sears, the same day that Adam was abducted. Okay, go ahead, Megan. Uh, and if I do a side tangent, just leave it up. It's okay, I won't move it. I won't move it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, he said, no, it's okay. We're, Hey, it's, we're here. Everyone, we're, our hearts are on our sleeves guys. So you're going to see it all. He stated that he recalled his wife making a list of things she uh, had to do. And she cut out the ad from the magazine, putting it on her blueprint table, which is located in the kitchen. Mr. Walsh remembered getting up sometime between seven and seven thirty AM on the day in question. And Adam was still sleeping. He and his wife talked of the events of the day then he went to work. He picked up his brother, Joe, who lives in Dania. Then they proceeded to work. Uh, on or about 10 a.m., he called his wife at home. And again, uh, she told him that she was going to Sears with Adam to buy the lamp. Uh, when Mr. Walsh was asked who, reside, who resided in their house, he said that he, his wife, Reve, their son, Adam, and a close friend by the name of Jimmy Campbell. He described Mr. Campbell as being 25 years of age, and he has all and he has known him for over 10 years. Uh, subject recalled that they met when he worked uh, as a beach boy at the Diplomat Hotel. Jimmy was 12 or 13 at the time. I'm not gonna lie to you. Everything that I say is already out if we just look. Um, and used to spend his time at the Diplomat doing odd jobs just to be near the ocean. He said Mr. Campbell's father was a, uh, was a test pilot who had crashed twice and was disabled from the Air Force, but presently lived in Hollywood with his wife, who is a registered nurse at, the, at a Broward County Hospital. He further stated that Jimmy Campbell is not good looking, rather skinny, bad complexion, somewhat introverted, and overly sensitive. Campbell's younger brother, Tommy, is very good-looking, athletic, and just married. It was general knowledge that Jimmy's father favored his younger son, Tommy, and Mr. Walsh felt it was rather sad. You can scroll up. That's probably easier. Thank you. Jimmy liked to surf and was very much into diving. Uh, subject stated that Jimmy always looked up to him and confided in him, and he honestly feels that he is Jimmy's only true friend. Campbell uh, also goes by the name of Dudley, so his nickname was Dudley. Uh, the Walshes gave him that name because he was so helpful and always there when needed. He was their Dudley Do-Right, is the nickname. Oh, my God. And we'll We'll see how that you know, mm -hmm. has significance later. Let me get the extreme whiteness off my face, guys. All right. Um, let's see. When Mr. Walsh was asked if Jimmy Campbell ever made, made mention to him as to how he related to his family, he said that Jimmy was always offended by the fact that his father played tennis at the country club with the Jewish women, while his mother worked all the time to support the family. 
Jimmy always identified his brother Tommy as being very macho. He is the type of guy who drinks Bush beer. Ironically, that's my dad's best friend, <laughs> Peter Bush now to this day. Uh, and beat, I mean, all right. <laughs> Sometimes when you read these guys, okay. Uh, and could beat anyone at anything. Uh, he identified himself, Jimmy, as being passive and somewhat of a lonely boy. Mr. Walsh realized that even though Jimmy Campbell's father did not kick him out of the house, he was not really accepted and the father preferred that he did not live there. After he and Reva married, it's Reve, since the Monahans were mutual friends of both Jimmy Campbell and Mr. Walsh, Jimmy would come by their house and visit. After his son Adam was born, the visits were more frequent and Mr. Walsh did not mind this for he felt that his wife and son were left alone at home, unprotected during the night. And if Jimmy Campbell stayed there, he would feel that he, uh, that his, and should say family was being protected. At okay, first, wait, time, time out, yeah. time out. <laughs> Jimmy Campbell, the skinny kid, the ugly kid, the one they're calling Dudley Do Right. And overly yeah. sensitive, he's going to protect the family. Yes, well, my father's not there because he's at work hmm. and likes the ladies, right? Didn't we just read that? Yeah, we uh, did. Okay. So, and, yeah. So, and one, yeah. wait, one more thing, too, Megan. Spunky D said, why is there so much info in this thing? You know what they say about over-explaining. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, when, yeah. when somebody's giving you this much detailed information and it really, I don't know. I mean, I guess in a in a roundabout way it kind of relates to what what they're trying to get to here it's just too much it's too detailed well, it's unnecessary you know, to me, i see setting up alibis i see mm -hmm. like that's you what know, i'm seeing like uh you know backtracking on some very contradictory statements here and again this is my father this is the account of my father one of my father's interviews right so this is talking about the interview not not dialogue interview of his questions and answers but this is somebody's you know, dictation of what he's saying as well. So, um, you know, he's definitely, you know, th my point here is he's talking to someone giving them this information, right? And then right. we see, you know, how it how it comes off. So I actually appreciate that that part of it. Uh, but yes, uh, uh, whoever just made that comment is, is you know. Spunky, spunky. Not, uh, hey, yeah, spunky. Well, keep it up, spunky. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, let's see, protected. Right, right. At first, he would occasionally pay Campbell for some of the time he spent there babysitting and doing minor repair work around the house. And this has been a theme. My dad loves to have, like, workmen and do boys and all this kind of stuff to this day. As time went on, Mr. Campbell spent more and more time there each day. Well, we'll see why when we look at James's time. Testimony <laughs> to uh, there each day, and before anyone knew it, it was taken for granted that he was living there. Mr. Walsh stated that not only did he like and respect Mr. Campbell, uh, he and his wife decided that he would be their child's grand. Godfather, excuse me, and they realized the sincere love he had for Adam. I don't know if it's going to say this, but again, he was 19 at that point. Uh, <laughs> I don't. 
Oh my gosh, I can't even like keep a straight face. Like I, okay, when I was nineteen, I barely knew my middle name. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out drinking, having a good time with my friends, and this guy's like basically running the household. Yeah, it, it would seem so now, wouldn't it? From my father's own account. So, um, all right. So, subject stated that Jimmy Campbell and his parents were very good Catholics. And for a five-year period during the time he stayed with them, so he was living with them for five years, he became like an adopted older brother to Adam, which is a very interesting way to put it. He taught Adam how to swim and did babysit for them. He worked as a houseboy, yet there was mutual respect. I'm sorry, I can't keep it. And he <laughs> no, was never so... and he was never taken advantage of. Literally, my father tells you, like, oh to your, he's done this in my case, he does it to this day. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh never taken advantage of. He was always considered as one of the family. Campbell coached the T-ball team that Adam played on. So he's coaching him. Uh, he taught Adam how to surf, cleaned the house, and was very much accepted by the entire family. Not only by the Walshes, but their relatives also. But again, a lot of information. You can scroll up to the next one so we don't have to do it in the middle. Uh when Mr. Walsh was asked when Jimmy Campbell moved from their home, he responded saying, Reva said we need our privacy. She asked him, what are you going to do? You can always see Adam. Adam was getting older, his wife said. He, Jimmy, had to start pulling for, uh, pulling for himself. She stated that he had not gone to school that semester and she was disappointed in him. He was getting a little lax. That's my mom's favorite thing. They need to go at tough love. They need to go out on mm. their own. They need to do this on their own. The woman's never worked a day in her life. Um, at this time and point in the interview, it was brought to Mr. Walsh's attention that from his statement, it was apparent that it was Reba's choice that Campbell move out. And he was asked uh, what his sincere, honest opinion of the matter was. So remember these details for when we compare affidavits. At this time, he responded saying, I told Reva, which it's Reve, all these records say Reva. Uh, I told Reva I wanted more privacy. I can't sit in my shorts in my own house. What does he need to light a fire under him? I was getting tired of having him around. Reva said she would talk to him. For the next 15 or 20 minutes during the interview, he let it be known to this examiner that he was beginning to feel a little jealous of Campbell being around. He did not want to share his son with anyone. Even though he knew that Campbell and Adam's relationship was a sincere and loving one, Mr. Walsh was somewhat apprehensive in making these admissions but admitted this was the undersigned saying it was actually the first time he admitted it to himself. He said, I felt as if I was carrying the load. I was paying my mother's bills, had my brother working for me, and I am responsible for everyone. I was under a lot of pressure at the time. Reva and I agreed. She said, even though I need him, Uh, I, I, right would have, I would 
have to assume I would have to assume more responsibilities. <laughs> I told her I would. She wanted me around more. For the past year, I have spent more time with my wife and child. Mr. Walsh stated when he went to soccer games, I paid for everyone. Sometimes it would cost me $55. He stated he never told this to Reve. Reve talked to Dudley and he stated that he would look for an apartment. From the time he mentioned for him to leave, maybe a month went by. There was no pressure on him. This is significant too when we're comparing. Uh, he stated it wasn't as if they were kicking him out. The tentative date for him to move out was June 1st, 1981. Uh, Adam was taken July 27th. He left sometime in July. So we, we placed him as moving out approximately two to three weeks only prior to Adam's disappearance. Mr. Walsh stated after Campbell left, who is also known as Dudley, they cleaned out the room and put some of Adam's toys in it. He continued to babysit. Mr. Walsh stated that Dudley is Adam's godfather and is totally distraught. Mr. Walsh stated that he knew Adam was alive and well and that he would get him back. Uh, sorry. He stated, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Dudley stated to Mr. Walsh that the police probably think he is distraught running around with psychics. Uh, there we go again. He would wow. say to me, John, tell me what to do. Mr. Walsh stated, when actually I was told by the son of one of the psychics, uh, who is actually Jimmy Levy, for those that are in the Patriot movement or familiar, uh, his grandmother was a nationally famous psychic. And um, I was told uh, through their family that my father and my parents were actually going to see her uh, prior to Adam going missing. I guess she was like a romance psychic or something in the area at the time. So, uh, Let's see. He would say to me, sorry, uh, he would say to me, John, tell me what to do. Mr. Walsh stated that he has seen, now he's talking about since Adam went missing, that, you know, Dudley's distraught and all this, um, running around with psychics. And that comes up later from James Campbell's take as well. He brings it up later. We'll see. Mr. Walsh stated that he has seen Dudley by himself crying and he was told, uh, and he has told me not to give up hope. Uh, Dudley has done everything everyone has asked him to do, which I find that line very interesting. Uh, you know, we see that this James Campbell, this young kid, is very distraught. We see it in his uh, affidavit that we'll look at in the future. But, you know, he's very distraught. His family's concerned about him. And then here's my dad saying, you know, Dud Dudley has done everything everyone asked him to do. Um Okay. In the beginning, Walsh stated he and his brother Joe thought they would find him. Dudley was not living with them at the time. He stated they still saw him all the time. Mr. Walsh recalled that on the day of Adam's disappearance, he was told that his wife Reva and Adam went to Sears alone. Soon after he was noticed missing, he was paged and about 10 minutes later, Mr. Walsh's mother Adam's grandmother came to Sears. When Reva saw her, she asked if she had seen Adam. Mr. Walsh believed that the police told his mother to go home and see if Adam had walked there. And it was his mother, uh, 
and it was his mother then called him at the office. So talking about my dad, my mother calling him at the office and, and telling him that Adam was missing. Uh, subject stated that he and his brother Joe went directly to Sears after being notified. Uh, of his son's disappearance. Upon his arrival, he immediately saw his wife, Revae, then he started to search the mall. Subject stated that he does not know when James Campbell was notified. Uh, and we'll see in the future, just for a quick uh, info there, that it said that Joe then went to the beach and found James Campbell and let him know uh, that Adam was missing. After a brief time of discussing an unrelated issue, a specific polygraph examination was conducted on Mr. John Walsh. The specific questions asked were as follows. So here's the, the initial polygraph. Concerning uh, your son, Adam's abduction, do you intend to answer my questions truthfully? He states yes. Do you know the individual that took Adam? He states no. Do you know where Adam is now? He states no. Uh, did you conspire with anyone to cause Adam's disappearance? He says, no. Uh, are you withholding information from the police concerning Adam's disappearance? He says, no. Do you suspect anyone of taking Adam? No. Do you know who took Adam? No. Did you take Adam? No. After careful analysis of said polygraph examination is the opinion of this examiner that John Walsh, that Mr. John Walsh showed no uh, physiological reactions, which would be indicative of being deceptive of any of the above relevant questions asked during his polygraph examination. Let me scroll. Uh, it is also the examiner's opinion that Mr. Walsh was not criminally involved in nor has he uh, guilty knowledge as to who is responsible for the abduction of his son, Adam. Clean, clean bill of health. If I can be of any further assistance in this matter, do not hesitate to call upon me. Thank you, Joe Matthews, director of JMM. <laughs> okay, so he gives a novel, like every detail of their lives, and then he's asked, what, 10 questions? For the polygraph? Yeah. Did you do it? And, I mean, simple. <laughs> He's clear. Oh my gosh. Wow. I now, I bet most most people, were, most people were expecting when we got to the polygraph that you're going to see, you know, 20, 30, 40 questions, right? And then follow-ups just to make sure they're covering their tracks. But that's it. I would think. I would think. Yeah. Okay. Well, so there's I, rem that. I when I, I remember when I first read when I first met you and I read that, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember thinking the same thing. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, I've seen cases, you know, you see them right now. Parents always get questioned more than that. I mean, take your own case, Megan, your own case, which you've done nothing. Megan has done nothing criminally wrong, but I promise you she has been cross-examined thousand times more than that right there easily evaluations i mean did, did they get a, uh, an evaluation and which is interesting because i will say you know people might bring it up well when you know if they really know the story you know my father did come out initially criticizing the police which is also a thing that you know i'll probably bring up at a couple points in the future because when we start to look at some of the other questioning that the police have done uh, not this episode, but in the future, we'll see that the police were actually asking 
uh, man, well, we might get to it because it's James's stuff, but um, we'll have to see. But the police are actually asking, like, do you feel that Adam was neglected? Do you feel that, you know, these these different things about the treatment of Adam by my parents and and what the dynamic in the house was between these three living together, which, again, we knew that John that James Campbell, by his own admission, we'll get to that. I was sleeping with my mother already, you know, a year or two prior to moving in with them. So, uh, you know, we just have to take that into account. Just these little side comments. It's interesting, you know, when, when you read this and then you know other details. So, Yeah, uh, especially when you've you lived. I mean, it's it's got to be weird. I mean, I because I'm, I'm detached from this. Obviously, I'm not family. I mean, we've, we're just friends and all this stuff. But, I mean, to actually... No, you're reading your father's detailed accounts of his younger life before you were born. Like, that's got to be a little weird, I would think. I mean, that's got to be surreal I'm at times. I'm trying to keep a straight face on a lot of this stuff, to be serious, guys, because <laughs> this is, like, heavy. But, like, you know, part of trauma is doing, like, the awkward laughs. But, like, also, you know... It's just so unbelievable. Like I'm finally at a point where I'm, you know, sharing this with the public. And when I personally was going through this stuff as a mom, you know, of three, single mom of three at the time, and I'm up at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. reading through these records, and I'm like, this, like, this can't be serious. Like these are supposed to be professionals. I get it's the time period, like all of that, but. Like this, I got to look deeper into this. I just couldn't stop. I kept reading and each record was like, you know, more something. Anyway. Well, you mentioned, yeah, but you mentioned the time period, but I mean, you can watch like old Perry Mason shows on TV where they cross examine people and, and, you know, ask them questions and, and did all these things, exam, cross examine them. And, and yet, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't understand how the father of that child has mm-hmm. wasn't asked at least a few more questions that mm-hmm. would be more pertinent. I don't know. I don't get it. We're going to get to chat, you know, towards the end, but I want to say Spunky D, if you'll remember to bring that up, if we miss it uh, later in chat, but she's bringing up, uh, they create an entire Adam Walsh act, which has to do with adoptions. Why? And uh, that's a big question that we're wondering Spunky D as mm-hmm. well. So that's another reason why we're here showing everything because there's a certain dynamic that seems to be to many of us not just myself uh you know possibly having to do with that and we do find now with our work uh against you know our child predator services that there is the adam walsh uh adoption forms for every interstate out of state and international adoption so that they're sure to get the funding and the stats and the data uh, for that, which again, that was a big question uh, from myself once I saw that, and then everyone else, you know, on my team and behind us, you know, especially, uh, you know, what does missing and exploited have to do with adoption? And that was one of the reasons why, or one of the big things that I started questioning the National Center about because, you know, is this like what? Is this like a monopoly, a kid monopoly? Like, what are we really doing here? So um, that's a great question. Yeah, like cornering the market. Yeah, and also, you know, I reference, I'll bring it up because we want to look at all different things. You can take what resonates and what doesn't. But as I brought up earlier, you know, around this time and shortly after in 87, we have the arrest of the Finders cult members. 
um, which again was creating a network, uh, you know, taking children, documenting the families, switching them around through adoption, weaning the children from the mothers, saying that they're taking them to, you know, gifted programs, these gifted children when really they had like a, a warehouse outside of Washington, D.C., where they were taking Polaroids of these kids and everything, which actually uh, it does pop up later again in future shows. We will. Uh, I will show you a potential correlation there with another boss of my father's and uh, and things that were uh, found and suspected. My dad was uh, approached about it later, about this, this ex-boss of his potentially being part of the finder's cult uh, and my father saying, don't worry about it, which gives me a real Cindy McCain. We knew about mm, it, but yeah. what to do kind of vibe personally. So another question that got me in a big in a lot of big trouble with my dad uh okay so i was just scanning again we'll go we'll look through chats in a little bit um yeah it doesn't make sense funky d sorry okay so what's our what do we have next on the uh the agenda well let's let's go do you want to go to your do you want to go to your mom's uh, yeah, polygraph James or James? Last. James. Yeah, let's go to. Let's go here. Okay, this was on September fourteenth, nineteen eighty-one. Reve Walsh. So this is now September. Uh, if we find other ones prior, then we'll we'll have to pull it up. So we apologize ahead of time. But this is in September again. He was taken in. Uh, July. In July. Hang on, I'm gonna turn this down again. I keep getting. My back is hurting, so I'm getting close to the camera so yeah. I can breathe. <laughs> um, well, they got your, They spelled her name right in this one, so that's good. Oh, look. See, it's coming along. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yep. two months later. <laughs> um, okay. So this is saying classification, suspect, case number. Reve D. Walsh, suspect. So, again, we're saying classification here. At this point, she is a suspect still in September. Uh, please be advised that the above named subject voluntarily submitted to a polygraph examination in order to determine her truthfulness concerning her contentions with regard to the above captioned case. Uh, the purpose of the examination was to determine whether or not the subject was telling the truth when she claimed that she had no guilty knowledge of, nor had she participated in the murder of her son, Adam who Adam, who between July, sometime between July 27th and August 10th, 1981. So they're accounting that, you know, up to when the, when his head was found. Uh, the facts concerning this case were provided uh, the examiner by Detective Ron Hickman and Detective Jack Hoffman of the Homicide Division of the Hollywood Police Department. Uh, in future shows, uh, you know, we'll go through the detectives. When we start doing the players, we'll go through the detectives and their variant. Here's, yeah, I'll slow the roll. No, okay, okay. We're going to go through the, uh, you know, the detectives and their perspectives. Uh, Willis Morgan uh, with Frustrated Witness has done great breakdowns mm -hmm. uh, about them. Okay. So uh, the examination was conducted by the undersigned on September 14th, 1981 in the Capital Crimes Division of the State Attorney's Office in the Broward uh, County Courthouse. The examination was monitored in its entirety by Detectives Hoffman and Hickman. 
Before her pre-test interview, the subject executed a consent waiver and stipulation agreement. Both executed forms have been incorporated as part of this examiner's case file. During the pre-test interview, data was collected by the examiner concerning the subject's personal history, arrest record, additional or educational history, as well as the subject's medical, physical, and psychological background. All the above uh, described data is contained within the examiner's worksheets. After determining the subject's sensitivity levels, this examiner conducted a peak of tension test uh, in order to determine the subject's uh, suitability for testing, which again, I'll remind everyone, this is a pseudoscience that's happening right now here. It's not permissible in court. So this is a great extent to explain this. Results of the uh, aforementioned test indicate that the subject was indeed testable and the examiner could determine truth from deception on the subject's polygrams. Continuing on uh, the pretest interview, the subject stated that on July 27, 1981, she took her son to Sears and left him in the department store. Upon returning to the toy department, she found him missing and to this date has not seen him alive. Uh, she reiterated that she uh, neither participated in or had actual knowledge of who committed the murder of her son. Following the pretest interview and a uh, uh, in a thorough review of the questions to be used on the examination, the following pertinent test questions were propounded to the subject during the course of the test. Uh, regarding the murder of Adam, do you intend to lie to any question about that? No. Do you know for sure who murdered your son? No. Did you yourself cause the death of your son? No. Did you help anyone murder Adam Walsh? No. Did you see Adam Walsh die? No. In her exam, uh, in the examiner's opinion, the subject's responses on her polygrams indicated no significant deception to any of the above listed test questions, which were propounded during the course of several individual examinations, incorporating the military general question test and U phase test. It is further the opinion of this examiner based upon the subject's polygraph examination that the subject was telling the truth and had no guilty knowledge of nor participated in the murder of her son. And says respectfully submitted by Carl J. Lord, investigator, polygraph examiner, office of the state attorney. And we'll, we'll have to get it together. These were just the beginning ones, but I will mm -hmm. say uh, to note to self, Gino, uh, I want to, we'll dig out the other ones because, you know, again, she was hypnotized later. Her statement, mm -hmm. she, we'll, we'll go through that kind of stuff. But that's the polygraph there. The extensive, you know, very <laughs> deep. Oh, very deep. Polygraph. Yeah. yeah that that them. Yeah. I can't even say it with a straight face. I, I'm like, it's almost, it's almost laughable. It's not laughable, but it almost is. Like, you just think, come on, you had to do better than that. And I, I know your father, I mean, I, you, like you said earlier, he did kind of rail on them a bit, the Hollywood yeah. Police Department. Um, mm -hmm. And if, if this is how they were operating, I could see why. Um, mm -hmm. But it is yeah. interesting that the, the mother and father of the child that went missing 
were asked a total of, I don't know, 15 questions, maybe. Yeah, and cleared after, you know, two months. Or My dad, I believe, was mm -hmm. cleared at just in a matter of weeks. Don't mark me on that. I don't want to misspeak. We know how anal I am about that. But, you know, again, we see my mother here still listed as suspect in September, but just being interviewed, you know, and things like that. I have to, when we pull the other stuff, we'll have to look at the dates and compare. I don't want to misspeak yeah. and yeah. not be accurate on that. So we can do that. Um, yeah. I all right. The hypnosis, those, those hypnosis yeah. files are very interesting compared to what we just saw here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. So if let's it go to, tonight, we'll, we'll pull them. Yep. Okay. Let's go to James Campbell. Now, James was the live-in uh, <laughs> Dudley Do-Right, as they called him. The handyman, yes. the uh, guardian of the home, I suppose. Yeah. I think, uh, and you also have not, this is the polygraph, you know. Hang on a second, honey. Um, do we have, is, there's another. I, I, oh, his. I'm sorry. Here. Yeah. Hang on. Let's go to this one first. Let's go to his right. statement. Yeah, Oops. Wrong one. Sorry. Here it is. We'll, here it is. And then we'll do the polygraph. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. So again, yep. here he is on the left. This is his, you know, homicide murder uh, statement. Um, do, can you see a date on that for the viewers when this was taken? Oh, uh, let's see, 1030. That was when it happened. No, I can't see it. Okay. These are old documents, so it's... Yeah. Okay. Uh, Campbell stated that he arrived at the goal. Is this the beginning of it? Or it's just a part of it? Yeah, I think this is the beginning. Okay. This is the only document I found, so. Okay. And then, and then we, this is his statement, and then we have the polygraph where he gives, and, and then there's a third. Maybe we'll save it for the next show. I've, yeah, we've, I've got the, uh, there's two of them. There's another one here on my screen here. I'll show you this one. Then you decide. There's, uh, let's see, volume case incident, statement, James Campbell, 112581s. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, let's let's maybe do this one. I'll see if the other okay. one's relevant. Well, let's do this. This is still a statement, and then you have the polygraph still, correct? Yes, right? yes. All right. Okay. All right, so let's do this one. Uh, so this is 8-7-81. So again, 27th, he was taken July. This is August 7th. This is 9.32 p.m. at night. Uh, and then it says interrogating officer. This is with the Hollywood Police Department. So, James Campbell, before I ask you any questions, I want to advise you of your rights under the law. Do you understand that I am a police officer? Uh, and he's initialing. Uh, you have the right to remain silent, yada, yada. You have the right to talk to an attorney if you cannot afford an attorney. Go on. His Miranda rights. Oops. He's signing. All right. Keep going. Yeah. He's just agreeing to the Miranda rights. Okay, the following will be a taped statement taken from James Campbell, white male, date of birth, 12, 13, 55. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, so he who resides at 1305 Dewey Street, Hollywood. This statement is in regards to certain information that Mr. Campbell may possess concerning the homicide murder of Adam Walsh, which occurred on or about Monday, July 27, 1981, at approximately noon. 12 noon occurring at 300 Hollywood Mall, Hollywood Broward County, state of Florida. This statement is being obtained by Broward, uh, by Detective R. Hickman, 0434, and J. Hoffman, 0038. 
uh, of the Hollywood Police Department and is being obtained in the Detective Bureau Conference Room of the Hollywood Police Department commencing on Wednesday, November 25th, 1981 at 8.35 a.m., which again is across the street from where Adam was actually taken. Uh, Mr. Campbell, before I obtain the statement from you by virtue of my commission as a notary public at large in and for the state of Florida, I'm going to place you under oath for your testimony. He places him under oath. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear? He agrees. Is there a telephone there? He's asking. You can, we can skim through this. Are you presently employed? He says, ah, self-employed. You don't work for the for the guy in Miami? Yeah, I am, but it's I've been working for, you know. How much formal education do you have, Jim? Ah, uh, third year college. Third year college? Yeah, and you're majoring in what? Humanities. And you can read, write, and understand the English language? Yes. James Campbell, uh, having appeared before me in Notary Public at large, and for the state of Florida, after having been duly sworn to poses and states. Question, Jim, we want to talk to you about the Adam Walsh case that we've been working since July 27th of this year, which occurred at 300 Hollywood Mall. Uh, what we'd like for you to do, this is just kind of like a rehash of all we've discussed in previous interviews. But the thing on tape, so, uh, excuse me, put the thing on tape so we can get the interview done. First off, describe to us your activities on the day that Adam disappeared, if you don't mind. Uh, um, okay, I awoke at 1305 Dewey Street, approximately 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, proceeded to get ready for work, showered, etc. Then proceeded to 2801 McKinley Street, which is my parents' residence. At what time was that, Jim? Uh, let's see, uh, 9.30, 10, I'm pretty sure on that. Okay, must uh, must be around that though. And went over to the Walsh's house and I had a cup of tea with Reve. We were discussing what we were going to do that day and what she had to do and what I had to do. Who was present at the house? Just Reve when I first got there. Adam was still in bed sound asleep because he had stayed up quite late the night before and I wanted to go ahead and get some driver's license and get some driver's license, which we had uh, we had both had lost. Hers had expired on her birthday a couple days before and mine was stolen. So they're getting driver's license together, having mm -hmm. tea that morning while Adam's sound asleep. And dad's already at work. Where was uh, your stolen from, by the way? Out of my car underneath the seat there, someone had ransacked me. Which car is that? 65 Mercury Convertible. And ah, she informed me that she had to do some miscellaneous errands. She had to go to Sears to buy the lamp. That was on, sa on sale. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that, guys. That, that lamp. <laughs> lamp okay stranger things again giving me stranger things vibes i'm just saying she had to go to sears to buy a lamp that was on sale and she was going to go to apollo gym and then graham was gonna that's my uh, dad's mother was gonna watch adam around 12 30 one o'clock so i had a cup of tea at the house 
I don't believe we had any breakfast at this time because it was getting late. It must have been at least 1030 or so. And I had to get down to work there to see what was happening. And just before I left, Adam came out, out of his bedroom, uh, came out and made a beeline straight for the couch. There's a family room. He was still tired as hell from last night, you know, incoherent totally. He laid down, which I find interesting. Like, okay, I don't know. That's just. I don't even odd. know what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. Like the late night and he seemed incoherent from the night before. Um, which again, we know people that have followed me and stuff. We know here that we've compared pictures, the baseball picture of Adam versus mm -hmm. other pictures of Adam. And, um, you know, what we'll reveal about my parents and stuff. We've also questioned, you know, if there was something going on with Adam, truly, whether there was a fetal alcohol syndrome or a slight autism, Down syndrome, something like that. And we'll notice that there are clues to that here, uh, you know, coming up and, and uh, speckled, you know, throughout peppered, like, like that you like to use against me, peppered throughout this. Okay, let's use their own words against them. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, so night, you know, he was incoherent, totally. He laid down on the couch and Reve went and laid down with him. They were cuddling for a while. I finished up my tea and said I had to get going and I would talk to them later. Uh, did she ask you at the time if you would take Adam with you to work? Yes, she did. She asked me if I would take Adam and, ah, uh, and, ah, uh, but I was going to do it but I had to go that particular day and do some filming down at the beach. What was the last line? Something. And I was gonna be with the owners and I would be most of the time out, time in, the out in the water. Right. So, do you know which remember that? So, because he changes why he wouldn't, mm -hmm. or he finally reveals why he wouldn't take Adam that day. And it's very, it's telling, it's very significant. Do you normally take Adam down there with you? Yes, I do, normally. That day he didn't. Why did she tell you earlier that she made plans to take Adam to Graham's house and then ended up asking you to take Adam with you? So, I think that's a great question. Well, she was. There was just, she wanted to know if Adam would go ahead to the beach. Uh, you know, Adam does like to go to the beach. Instead of going to Graham's? Yes, hanging with Graham for the afternoon and going, you know, whatever they do. Go ahead. So I proceeded to leave the house. I would say it was around 1030, maybe 20, quarter to 11. It was close to 11. This this changes a lot we didn't pull my mom's i think probably next time we'll have to go over Reve's uh take later uh mm -hmm. she's questioned again For and sure. then we'll compare those we'll do another uh, uh comparative kind of episode if you will um i i arrived at the strand 11 around 11 uh o'clock and uh then of course when i got down there it was pretty windy to begin with so then i didn't even bother setting up the boats uh, in fact, I was thinking about leaving the place. I thought this is a waste. What vehicle? Do, so really nothing and no proof of anything, you know. Right. Totally incapable to prove anything. Okay. What vehicle did you use for transportation that day? I had my sister's car. 
Uh, that's the Oldsmobile. Yeah, I believe it's a 1980 blue with a vinyl top, white top. Uh, she was in Europe at the time, so I was using her car for a couple weeks. And so I got down to the Golden Strand and I proceeded to check out the weather conditions. And they weren't too good. They weren't too impressive. Definitely not renting material at all. The tourists uh, just couldn't handle it. So I figured I better hang in there until I hear from this owner or something of that nature. Just to know, uh, just so, uh, excuse me, just to know, or just to you, no find, what is that? Doesn't make sense. Out what's happening there. Maybe I misread that. Sorry, guys. Who saw you down at the Golden Strand? What people? The only people I could think of that day uh, that I would see in the morning when I actually arrived would be Gordon was off that day. I know Lewis, he, I'm positive. I don't remember actually seeing. I usually make my rounds in the morning. I walked through the back gate and I used to see the people uh, in the restaurant and I see Lewis in his office and I go straight up the stairwell up to my cabana, which is situated in the top corner of the place. So I'm pretty sure I saw Lewis that morning there when I arrived. And did he see you? I would imagine so. If I saw Lewis, he saw me. Uh, that's what I meant. I would have said hello to him or good morning to him or something of that nature. Uh, I proceeded right to my cabana, opened it up, still checking out the weather. I hung out for about 15, 20 minutes debating whether to ha hang in there. I think it means uh, at all. Kind of walked, went back downstairs, got a glass of water out of the cabana office downstairs. I believe I went... Back upstairs, uh, but the majority of the time I went straight up to my cabana again. Ah, and I just hung up there for hours. Did anyone see you up there? Um, not till later in the afternoon, which would be what time? Now that's significant, not till later in the afternoon. Which time would that be? Or which would, which would be what time? Oh, I was there around two o'clock. So that's after Adam would have been taken. So from 11, 1130 uh, till two o'clock, you don't know if anybody could have possibly seen you. Ah, not to my knowledge. I spent a lot of time up in my office. My, the way my office is situated up there, nobody passes by. I mean, you got to go up looking for me to see me. Yeah, I'm familiar with your office. I was up there. And what I, uh, what I basically, I was hanging out the day there. I eventually went downstairs and washed the boats up, got them ready for, I knew the owners would be down. It was getting late in the afternoon before they even appeared. I even, in fact, took a run down to the Thunderbird Motel uh, to borrow some sales just for the demonstration. I can just set up some nice sales. My sales are kind of shabby, you know, for these pictures. Uh-huh. Jimmy, did you at one point reconsider about picking up Adam and, uh, we're going to call Revee around noon to tell her that you were going to pick up Adam? Yes. When, when I was at, when I was down there, it started getting really windy and I thought I'm just going to bag this. And then I never did. 
I decided I just better stick it out there. And you never called or tried to call? No, no, he says. Uh, you knew what her activities were going to be for the day. She told you earlier that morning when she, something inaudible. Yep, she said she was going to go to Sears to pick up some lamps that were on sale. And then she was going to the gym to work out. And what time would she have been at the gym? I think she said one o'clock. What time does she normally go to the gym? It varies on her schedule, depending on what Adam was doing or what her school activities were or what she had to do that day. It varies. A lot of times she wouldn't go until at night time with John. They wouldn't go until the evening after work or something or something. It varied all the time. Uh, are you, meaning like, and James would stay with Adam, right? They're going to the gym at night. Are you feeling all right today, Jim? And he says, ah, uh, yeah, you seem very uptight. You appear very nervous to me. Every time I come here, I get nervous. This whole situation, uh, you know, I miss Adam very much because, uh, he was my sidekick. You might say, and I've got all this added pressure and these added, what added pressure, Jim? Well, like this, for instance, I don't know anybody else. I don't know anybody else who, uh, who was, you know, brought in here and making statements, you know, we've taken lots of statements in this case. I was just curious, you know, lots of them. Do you think about Adam constantly? And he says, always. Uh, do you think it might help if you spoke to someone who's neutral or a professional person? I've, other than myself or Jack. To me, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, well, my parents, my parents, John, Reve, everybody has made some suggestion that we, you know, yeah, but it's, I don't know how they could really help me. It's just one of those things. I just, you know, you don't know unless you go there and try to get some kind of help. I know it's tough. Uh, it's a heavy burden you're carrying around on your shoulders, quite a heavy burden. And he says, we did everything together. Did Adam ever make you angry at him? Excuse me? Did Adam ever make you angry? No, the only time he made me angry would be trying to stay up late or not going to bed on time or something ridiculous. But Sunday night, you didn't get him to bed until midnight or later. He didn't have school the next day, though. So that's the, so that's the criteria the detective's asking. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, because he, uh, he does sleep in in the morning. Are you pretty much the disciplinarian with Adam? So now he starts asking more you know, interesting questions. Uh, no, we all really had our parts. So this is a part I really find interesting. He says, no, we all really had our parts. Everyone had their own. And what was your part? My basic part on disciplining him was just to be sure that he got to bed on time. That's not answering the question. And you know, he brushed his teeth in the morning and just normal, uh, pretty much uh, said something, what, normal something, normal teas or something probably. Uh, everybody pretty much was doing the same thing. 
after he'd eat sweets, of course, you're going to tell the kid to get in there and brush his teeth after he eats. And everybody did that. So this like everybody who's everybody, you know, I was told by other accounts by people that grew up in the neighborhood that there were a lot of people in and out of my parents' house. It was very like communal, you know, whatnot. Uh, all right. So you indicated you ran up to the Thunderbird to get the sails. That was on the beach, right? I took, I took a run. This would have been after two, sometime after two. Uh, it had, uh, it had to have been, it would, it had to have been, I was there for at least it appeared. I didn't have a watch. Okay. So that's a big point. He's saying I didn't have a watch. When we see my mom later, we'll have to do it in another show, but she says my watch was broken that day. So that's a big, a big doozy for me. Uh, he doesn't have his watch and hers is broken. So, uh, I didn't have a watch on at the time, but it would appear that it was there for, I was there for a couple of hours before I went down there. It seemed like quite a few hours, two or three hours. I would say anywhere from, I was down there anywhere from one o'clock to two thirty, or, or so anywhere in there. And you weren't able to make contact with the guy from the Thunderbird? No, I went down there. No, again, no one saw him. He's not sure. <laughs> no, he didn't make contact. Sorry, I tried to hold back, but this is ridiculous. No, I went down there, and there were two young kids down there working it that day for some reason. Like 13 years old or something. 14. Or 15. Did they know you? No, I never seen them before. I think one of the kids, his father works on the pool deck or something. I'm not quite sure there. I mean, the, James Campbell met my dad when he's working on the pool deck at 12 or 13 years old. Okay, yeah, and he doesn't know. Obvious. Um, I might have met them once through Gordon. Gordon knows everyone down there at the Thunderbird. We used to go down there and play a little bit of ping pong and things like that. Uh, but the kids, they were there. They didn't know me, so they didn't give me the sales. So he didn't have the sales to show for it. The kids don't know. Him. And I wanted to say they gave me a phone number to call to get permission, whatever. And I believe the number they gave me was down at the Eden Rock, where Gordon has a place also down there. And I couldn't get a hold of anybody. I talked to the young... I talked to the young on the phone and she said, call back. I got a hold of this Derek fellow that runs it, this English guy. So I said, scrap it. I can't get, get him for the day. So I never really followed through with it. I understand that. I thought he had like the boss coming and he was doing this photo shoot and like, That's what I thought. like, I don't know. Okay. I understand that you helped in the ground search that was made looking for Adam and there was quite a few people involved, the Boy Scouts and the CBers, and you also helped on your motorcycle. What area did you check? I checked basically, uh, you know, uh, that would be the following day, I believe it was. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. Uh, I checked all over the Hollywood, uh, all over the Hollywood by. Uh, it's Crystal Lake there that's across from uh, Sheridan Street. It's on Sheridan Street, that stretch, uh, just 
just east of 95. Yeah, right. On the north side, basically in there. Then this was early in the morning on Tuesday, and they were still saying that Adam could have possibly walked to the gym for some unknown reason. And of course, the, that was uh, the first night chat. We got, okay, here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, could, they're saying that he could have walked to the gym for some unknown reason. And of course, that was the first night chat we got involved with these freaking psychics and freaking ladies like he's not having this he's like and remember my dad is saying oh james and he's running around talking about psychics oh james and so james is like the chat we got involved with these freaking psychics and these freaking ladies you know we were so green to begin with i mean anything you hear this one or this one go ahead lady says he was definitely all right sleeping in some type of big pipe drain pipe sewer drain pipe so everyone right away says ah out on sterling road there with the gym all that all that out there they got pipes doing construction uh this and and that so i went out there i went straight out there went to the gym talked to a fellow by the name of bert that was out there that morning bert christie Yes. Uh, and I checked all the construction around there, felt a field kind of adjacent there. You know, it was a joke. You know, it was just keeping busy. Uh, period. And I did that for quite a few hours that Tuesday morning. So also it's significant for those that like to research to look at that area that he's talking about and the history there. It's actually, uh, you know, a trafficking site. Um, that was with a motorcycle. Yeah. Any other area you go into any other wooded areas? Uh, not that, uh, that was it basically. Did you check anything in Dade County? Uh, just to go through it, like traveling back and forth to work. No, nothing in Dade. I just hit the immediate area, like around there for some reason. Well, those were the only two places I checked on, on the bike. Where do you stay Monday night? This whole thing happened during the day Monday. Joe came down and got you from the hotel and told you that Adam had disappeared. Right, that's right. Where'd you stay that night? At McKinley Street. Who was present at McKinley Street with you? Ah, John, Reve, and Joe, I think. That's, the, that's their house at the time. It was the McKinley Street again. On McKinley Street, you were at the house that day? Yeah, that night. I think that I don't even know who was there. The whole family was there. How long uh, had you been out of the Walsh's house before this disappearance of Adam? Uh, we're still trying to get that down, he says. We're still trying to get that down. I had to be, I would say, a couple weeks uh, maybe three, but I think that's pressing it. I think it was just a couple of weeks. Uh, where were you living during these different times, Jim? Uh, my basic residence always at the time is my parents' house. I stayed with John Monahan a couple of times. I stayed down at my cabana a few times and my parents' house quite a bit. You mentioned to me a motel where you stayed at. Yeah, I stayed one night at a motel because I didn't have the key to the house it was late and i was aggravated and tired and i wasn't about to wake up anyone in the house 
Your dad's house, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I just stayed. Uh, you went to the La Palma Bay Motel? Loma, sorry. Uh, let's see. Ah, that's correct. Any personal problems between you and John? And he puts no, none at all. You didn't have your differences about anything? Basically not. No, we had a lot of similarities, in fact. Whose idea was it for you to move out of the house, Jim? Uh, I think it was kind of a mutual understanding. It had been something uh, that was going, uh, you know, I needed a place. They needed a place. Between all three of you or between you and Reve? Yeah, all three of us. Yeah, we talked it over for quite a bit, you know, there, here and there, but we all felt on very good terms. There was no problems. You mentioned one point you got very upset with Reve because the emotional situation that you indicate in talking to Joe, Joe Matthews, for the record. And so that's the detective again. Um, the, 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 sorry, I lost my place. Uh, that you were really pissed as hell when you moved out on one particular day. Well, pissed as hell would be like saying she burnt my toast that morning. I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, we had a little indifference. There was a little over something ridiculous. I don't remember exactly what it was. But ah, yeah, we were upset for a couple hours and I believe I headed for my parents' house and called her back up and uh, yeah, it was, when did the affair that you got involved with Reve actually begin? Do you remember how long ago it was? I'm trying to think here. What? <laughs> I just think it's so telling. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> I'm trying, I'm trying to trying think here. To, I'm trying not to laugh. This has been like years also. I've been reading this and I can't believe we're actually. All right. Um, when did it actually begin? I'm trying to think here because I always thought that all this here was confidential. It is confidential. You put material. <laughs> said. It's confidential. It is confidential material. The police have knowledge of it. Uh, is it still going on today? No, it is. No, it's not. You stopped all that? Reve and I have what you. Okay. Another. Reve and I have what you might say a brother and sister relationship, as far um. as closeness gets. If I was to go out today and get engaged, or if she was to have five more kids, we would always still be as close as you could possibly get. We got a brother and sister relationship twice in three sentences. We've always been like that, very close, being able to talk to one another. Except that, except that during the time of the affair, you wouldn't describe it as a brother and sister relationship unless you believe in incest. <laughs> no. Right, right. That's correct. That's what I'm getting at. Do you remember what period of time you were asked to move out of the Walsh's house? I'm really more concerned something or probably about the time. Yeah, but which member of the family asked you that you have to move? So here he says, first of all, Reve did. Did she mention it was John's decision that you move? Uh-huh. 
And it wasn't, like I said before, this was not a cut and dry thing where one day Reve approached me and said, listen, uh, you know what I'm saying, this was over a period of over a year, maybe, where my dad was saying what, like a little bit before they were talking about. Right. You made mention of Joe Matthews again, quoting that in quotes, if I didn't get out soon, I would never get out. What do you mean by that? Okay, so again, he's being asked, he's saying you made mention of Joe Matthews again, quoting that if I didn't get out soon, I would never get out. What do you mean by that? I meant getting out of the rut at my age and I had to get out and freaking get a house together and, and start saving some money to buy a house and start getting my life together. You know, which is what my mother was saying, you know, this is what she's telling. You got to get your life together, da, da, da. you know, because I was very domesticated there. I mean, you know, it wasn't your normal, you know, after work, you don't go out with the boys and go drinking. And I went home, helped prepare dinner or did the dishes and got Adam ready. And not that I minded it in any way. I think you were probably a help. How long did you actually live there? Uh, I'm trying to think when I moved in the house. Two years? Was it uh, Was it after born? I think you meant after Adam was born. It's, it's like he's a part-time pet and part-time butler, part-time lover. I, I don't know. He's got all these yeah. like It's like parts a houseboy. I mean, okay, I'm going to say it out because this, and, and, because this is my side note. You know, we've got this new stuff, maps, minor attractive people, all this stuff. There's, mm -hmm. you know, these people that are going out and approaching young kids online. And we're seeing a lot of them justifying what they're doing with younger kids by saying like, oh, it's like a family. No, it's like it's like this weird derivative of a polyamorous relationship. And I'm not saying that this is exactly what's going on, but this is what comes to mind when I'm looking at overall at these things and especially James Campbell for some reason I always knew you know for some reason his stuff was really being kept quiet and hushed and you know my father goes on to pay for his lawyer you know for you know for my for this his, his wife's lover's lawyer you know and everything so for me it was this maps thing and how they're saying like uh, and I'm trying not to go into a whole offshoot and rabbit hole, but basically, you know, justifying it and saying, you know, like a polyamorous relationship. Well, this, this person doesn't, this girl doesn't have a, her mom's always gone and, you know, she's alone on the weekends. So we told her that, you know, she can come with us and we can, she can live. She has her own room, you know, she has her own bathroom. And, you know, we told her that we shower together like a family. And if she wants to shower with us, that she can. This is a video. I'll have to post it on my Twitter that I watched. One of those predator, you know, where they bust the pedophiles. Mm -hmm. And this mother showed, this woman showed up with her toddlers in the car to pick up what she thought was an 11-year-old child. And her husband was at home waiting for them to arrive back so they could have pool parties. And they can groom this who they think is an 11-year-old girl. Uh, to move in with them to help like an extra, you know, again, she, she was justifying like, oh, but you know, it'd be like a help, you know, having another person, she could help us with the kids. She could help us, you know, with the duties around the house, basically like polyamory, you know, justifying, but this is an underage child, you know, 
Um, so for me, and, and, and again, that goes into the whole ideology and NAMBLA and all that weird stuff of like, you know, the children's first experiences should be within the family. Um, and, you know, we're abusing children by not, you know, by denying them this and the way that we raise them and having strangers be their first encounters and all this. So they're justifying through that. And again, without going, you know, further, people have questions about it, or I'll post the link to tw on Twitter or something of that video for the, for an example. But for me, you know, looking at these dynamics, especially family, um, I hate to say when it gets into like swinger stuff, I'm talking off the cuff now, so I'm trying not to, I'm trying to be PC, <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, something, some weird dynamic is going on here. I mean, he's 12 and 13 when my father meets him, he's named Godfather at 19. He is then sleeping with my mother who's significantly older and then moving into, before he's moving into the house, he's in the house for a couple years. And then this threesome has this, you know, uh, this mutual, you know, decision that he's going to be moving out and getting on his own and, and we'll see it kind of, uh, go on here. And I know we want to wrap this up a little bit, yeah, and, you know, and, and that long. doesn't even include, yeah, that doesn't even include the drug use that's going on in the home. Um, no. all the, like you said, it's like an, it's like a commune. People are coming and going. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what, who's coming and going. And, and meanwhile, also, you have a, you have a six year old boy. In the mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. And in future, you know, uh, episodes, once we kind of get a good grasp for the viewers on this, uh, we will be also comparing the allegations against me, um, which are very interesting, aren't they, Gino? How they sure are. That's kind of why yeah. I brought up the six year old boy being at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the people in and out and, and the accusations. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So there's that. You want to? finish this up uh, yeah let's finish this one up we can continue uh next week everyone can join mm -hmm. to finish uh you know james's testimony find out more it does go it goes deeper into revealing stuff about the relationship and we can cover that some more and i'll pull some more uh proofs and things uh, and have a little bit of a discussion that would that, so that's our plan guys so, so. There's 51 pages, Megan. We're at 17 on this one. Yeah, we're, we're not doing all that. So I just want to, that's what I'm saying. What we're seeing here, let's kind of tie this up because they're talking about vacations. Mm -hmm. When we're done with that, we can, you know, go, go sure. into it next week. Um, and we'll highlight. I on Twitter also, if you plug in in the search, James Campbell, I've taken out poignant um, pages from this document. I've highlighted them. Uh, so you don't have to be going through, uh, you know, each and every page. We just wanted you to have a good kind of, you know, insight, no pun intended, mm, yeah, uh, no pun intended. you know, into, into what's going on and what these are actually looking like. So, you know, again, he's talking about here, we'll finish this at the end, but basically he's asking, yeah, Adam was born back in 74 and they've been living in Hollywood since I think it would be three years this past summer. So he's saying you lived with them only in Hollywood house, or did you stay with them sometimes in the other? Uh, I stayed with them sometimes in Miami. I'm thinking that might be John Monahan's house he's referring to, but I don't I don't know that exact exactly what he's referring to personally. Because um, I had a house. Oh well, he he is saying I think that they were staying in a house, and he was saying because he had a house. Uh, with my mom's brother, he says here, because I had a house, Reve's brother and myself had a house about a mile away. 
you mean Joe? And he says, no, Revae's brother. Yeah, her brother, Cliff. And a little bit about Cliff, and since we've brought up adoption here, um, a little bit about Cliff is that we found out just less than a decade ago uh, that my grandmother, my mom's mother, my maternal grandmother, she actually um, facilitated the adoption of, uh, with the other family, of my uncle Cliff's child uh, at birth when they were when they were young. I guess he and his girlfriend got pregnant uh, in high school or so, and then uh, you know they didn't want to keep the baby. My mom's family says, "Oh, we you know the other family insisted we had to get rid of the baby," so the baby was adopted out at birth. Uh, and then we, none of us knew any of that. That was kept secret for decades and decades. And we just finally found out about 10 or less years ago that, you know, my cousin Karen, you know, was adopted out at birth and she was apparently adopted to a very abusive uh, adoptive mother. Um, but why I bring that up is because it's very interesting that if Revae Walsh and her family can keep something like that a secret for decades, even to us, um, you know, what else can she keep secret? So, and, and that was before Adam, uh, that was before, uh, that was before Adam. Yeah. Cause they would have been in high school. Hmm. Yeah. That's a dark secret. Yeah. Well, I mean, that just, again, leads me why I bring that up is cause it's like, well, if you can keep that secret and knowing my mom, you know, if you can keep that secret mm -hmm. and stuff like that, then what else? are you uh, hiding, especially when it's so silly like that? Like we know her now and she's amazing and you know, all that. Um, okay. So I know it's late, but do we want to look at the chat real quick or both of them and maybe address some stuff we promised everyone. If you fell asleep, you can rewatch. Yeah. <laughs> we went, we're trying okay. to, we were trying to stay around an hour, but it's already been like two hours and 10 minutes. So that's yeah. okay. There's doing. a lot of lot of information in this. While you're doing the rumble rumble chat pretty much stopped. I mean there's a bunch of lurkers watching, but no one's saying anything. So if you guys have any comments or questions, now's the time to drop them in there. Same thing over on Foxhole. We got uh Tanette Booth, good friend of the show, Tanette, good to see ya. Said, um, okay, so uh, that was back when we were reading earlier. A professional person, a handler or a nanny, L O L. I can't remember what that was related to. Uh, you you have an effed up family. Well, there's there's some elements of being effed up for sure. Um, we're not here to like slam anybody. We're just here to present the evidence as it's being thrown out your way. But yeah, there's some strangeness, high strangeness. I mean, I know if you have a living a guy living there and he's playing all these different roles and he's such a young guy compared to them. That's strange. That's very strange. And then yeah. with what Megan said about being like a, com a communal, I mean, people are coming and going or commune, I mean, and people are coming and going. And who are these people? And what are they doing? Why are they coming and going? Are they sleeping? Are they spending the night? Or are they just stopping by to say hello? I mean, like, what's actually happening there? I'll say Penny Shepard was the first one before I even started looking at stuff. I was told about her because she was putting up stuff about how my parents are satanic swingers. And at that point, I was like, wow, that's that's uh, that's intense. Like, that's too much. For, that's too far. This woman's going too far. And then uh, Penny, my, I don't know. That's all I'm going to say there. We love Penny. She's like, <laughs> done incredible work. And I, yeah, I'm, she admitting, has. I'm like, I'm admitting. When I saw that, I was like, okay, I don't know 
Lion Lion Dog. Uh, next episode is next Saturday at 11 p.m. We're gonna we're gonna try to do every Saturday. I'm sure there's gonna be some we're not gonna be able to, but um, yeah, Saturdays 11 p.m. and that will be episode three. Smokey D, good friend. Uh, yes. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, but almost been up 24 hours. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna re research it. Know about the connection to Hollywood? Lots of bad things, and also Adam's connection to adoption. Yeah, um, unfortunately, we got to like work through everything to get to some of those. Um, you know, that's post Adam, but really one of the biggest things that uh, that you know I wanted and the purpose for me to do this is for people to get the original narrative, uh, the things that were or the original truth and what was going on, mm -hmm. and the takes firsthand from the people involved, not the narrative that they were given through. Uh, mainstream media when we start to go into audit tools uh and you know aspect of this and everything we'll see how you know a lot of people did come forward to the hollywood police department with different you know information about that day and you know they were really turned a lot of them were turned away uh if the you know the details that they had didn't fit the narrative that that was being put out in the mainstream already so um that's a big aspect too of for of, sure was put out right away which we know you know the majority of what's the percentage i don't know off the cuff but of news uh reports when they first come out the oh, percentage of accuracy yeah. and all of that so <laughs> yeah this there is immediately put out and i think that maybe possibly also uh, you know something that could have happened was some damage control in certain aspects mm -hmm. of this case including the finding of the head um so that's a yeah when we get into the actual physical evidence i think uh -huh. that's where people are going to be like wow i didn't know that like there's a lot to go over in that when we get there um megan was adam a sacrifice only say this because john gained a shit ton of wealth right that's from tanya yeah i mean i think i've i've never again i say this every show people really want to pigeonhole me i respect the question i get it um but again, I'm not here to accuse anybody of something that I don't know for certain. Anything that I come out and say is from my experience firsthand or it's from records and research or it's from, you know, mm -hmm. an, an anecdote from my life, you know, that I can back up. Um, you know, also, I'd like to say that it's not just, you know, killing sacrifice. Like, I mean, what my parents are doing to me now is basically a living sacrifice. I'm still alive technically, but you know, I've been shunned and I don't exist to them. I'm being erased as my children's mother um, for a certain lifestyle, which is interesting how we've been bringing this up, what James was doing, what the finders cults related to and what they believed and then what's happening with my children uh, now and then being weaned from their mother and, and me being erased so that they live a certain lifestyle um and have certain ideals and and all of that kind of stuff so um do i think that you know he sacrificed my we're, we're still navigating that you know and i think that sacrifice puts it in kind of a drama you know dismissible uh context with all respect um i think that it is a possibility that my father was involved in things that he shouldn't have been at that time uh and maybe something happened to his son or, uh, you know, there is the false flag, you know, possibility. I will say that out loud. We will get into some of the different uh, affidavits that really, especially that sale and the lamp and different people's accounts, uh, you know, later on we can get into, you know, how that could possibly have been set up 
or, you know, did, I mean, people have so many different things and that's what we want people to be talking about here. There's so many different, um, you know, thoughts or I, you know, what is it? you know, theories, excuse me, it's late, uh, theories on, you know, what happened. And I don't mean to be evasive about that. I have been clear that I've never directly said that my father sacrificed Mm -hmm. my brother uh, for fame, but it is interesting as the observer to see uh, and then to watch him also how he presents that continuously, how he's profited, how even at the local commission, you know, meetings, he first talks, you know, over the license plate readers, he brings up, you know, my son was decapitated first. So, you know, that is a very interesting point. Um, We're trying to get to the bottom of this. I've reached out to some, uh, you know, true crime or cold case, different people um, to start bringing in other opinions for you guys. And hopefully, um, be able to get some real professionals looking in, uh, you know, at the records and, and other possibilities. So I uh, want to address one answer, thing. I don't have yeah. a direct answer. No, yeah. no, we have ideas, theories, like you said, but right. no direct answers. But I, I do have an opinion. This is not Megan's. This is my own opinion. Um, I've often wondered with this weird trifecta that was going on in the home, is Adam even John Walsh's son? I, I, like that's just my own personal opinion i've thought about this many times and i think of this quote right here that we said earlier i was adam's father his brother his uncle his best friend and then you also have many statements from your own dad saying that boy in interviews rather than my son and so i there's a part of me and i I can't obviously i can't prove this i don't have dna tests but i mean i've always scratched my head on that one like i i don't know I mean, mm-hmm. have you ever thought about that, Megan? And you don't have to answer if you don't yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, I have actually, and I have found uh, in different in different passings. You know, he James says, "Oh, Reve was beautiful when she was pregnant," but he does, you know, say that it, there's never anything where he's indicating that it might be mm-hmm. his child. Right. Um, he's saying that they slept together years later, but then also he changes, you know, how many years they were sleeping together and. How many these time frames and all that are very elusive if we notice on all this. No one mm-hmm. really knows what's going. I guess, you know, we didn't get to the Coke and, and marijuana part. So maybe that would add a lot of reason to why all these times and you know, this yep. this lifestyle. Yep. Tanette Booth um, said, You have an audience here, girl, but we will dissect you like a cricket. That's what we do. Laugh my ass off. I'm sure we'll find you correct. Oh, well, tonight, obviously, you haven't been following Megan's story for the last couple of years, but you will find. I love everyone loves to focus on the victims, too. Not dissect but, John Walsh, not well, do anything like that. You know, it's, 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 I, but I get, I get your sentiment. I know exactly what you're talking about tonight, but, but I can tell you this. There's, you can watch, there's, I don't know how many videos Megan's done, podcasts and interviews, and just even with us, our own little team that we've got. I mean, but I can tell you this. She is the most credible person I've ever met. Like, I've never caught her in a lie, whether privately or on a show. It's the same story. She's never uh, changed her tune. And if you know what's happened to her privately in her personal life, I mean, it's an atrocity what these people have done to her. It's horrendous. Um, but she's, she has stood her ground. And this, this is not easy for her. This is her father and mother. She loves her mom and dad. Unfortunately, it's just... it's. 
there's a lot of weird things going on and have been going on for many years. And we're just trying to, to lay the evidence out there to see, okay, where does it go? We've examined it. I've read through a lot of this stuff, not all of it, but we're going to get through a ton of this stuff. And I think, like I said tonight a little earlier, when you start seeing the physical evidence of the crime, it's going to make you scratch your head. Because I know you're a researcher. I know a lot of uh, foxholers, foxholians, I call them. Foxholians are, are researchers. And I think you're going to be very interested digging deep into Adam's disappearance. Yeah. So, yeah. You, uh, and that's I'm and tonight that's nothing because, yeah because i yeah. want i want people to research i'm smiling Absolutely. so big when you say that because you know anyone that knows me knows i love jesus and it's just been so incredible because this is wild i mean it's literally unfathomable and so you know i do feel blessed for like the career i was in before the upbringing i've had like i literally feel like i've you know been able to you know, again, be, take myself out in a certain respect as far as an observer, as much as mm -hmm. I could, you know, for who I am or for the position, right. Being their, their child. And, you know, I do feel very blessed that, you know, we have all these documents, we have all the, the proofs, we have the truth. They put everything even about national center. And again, our stance has never been sitting to accuse anybody, anything. We right. want to ask questions. We want to make observations. How did we get to certain places when this is a case that led to things that, again, as we started with this to come full circle, that have greatly affected the way that we live, um, you know, the authority over us, certain, you know, very important aspects of not only daily life, but of our children's upbringing and our children's lives. Sure. So, um, you know, I've, I've been waiting to get into a space where we could get some good researchers on and maybe ex-law enforcement, you know, anything mm -hmm. like that. Again, everyone, all of these records can be found at justiceforadam.com. Willis Morgan, thank you so much. What a blessing that he fought through the courts uh, against my parents and, and many people were threatened. Uh, he did that with the um, Broward Bulldog uh, publication as well back in the day to get all of these uh, records released to the public. Um, so that is, yeah, right there. You can see justiceforadam.com. Yeah, so. Willis Willis has done a great job getting this all organized. And, um, I mean, he has spent <laughs> literally a lifetime, a lifetime compiling information and, and evidence. And he has some other theories. I mean, that's fine. We're yep. all entitled to our theories. But Tanette actually said, I have heard her story repeatedly. I love her. So she's, she was kind of like just throwing it out there. I get it. We, we, yeah, know. we know. But that's good. And Megan doesn't take offense to this. Megan yeah. takes, I have seen Megan take the slings and arrows for two years now. And like, I don't know, she's an amazing person. Like, honestly, I've never met a woman so strong um, in that, in what she's had to endure. And then yet she can still come on here and tell this story, which she's told a million times. Um, and I mean, you probably memorized half of these documents. So it's just like, you know, you've read I, yeah, through so much. Yeah, but, it's funny because yeah. I'm like, where's the part of that? And that's yeah. like, pages I'm like it didn't seem like that when i was reading it sorry yeah yeah well yeah we'll but, get better too. but it is good i mean go to the website guys i mean you're, there's lots of researchers here and i mean i think you'd be fascinated fascinated by what you see um in these documents because i remember when i first read a megan and i'm not a true crimer i that is not my thing i don't even like researching that much i mean there's some <laughs> things i'll research but when you guys like started throwing me this stuff you and mike i was just like are you kidding me like how come i never knew any of this stuff 
and then it's you just keep pouring through. Yeah, and I had so many questions, and I'm like, well, like, okay, your dad's testimony there. I mean, I that's a joke. I mean, are you kidding me? The father and and look, I'm not saying he's. I'm not. I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm just saying like, are, that's the extent of the investigation into the father of the son. Like, there's every day in this country. Fathers and mothers are being questioned in the disappearance of their child or the death of their child or abuse of their child. And that's it. Ten questions or whatever well, it was. And also to, to that point as well, I'll take it one step further that we with all this stranger danger and pedophile, you know, all this kind of stuff, we've got we've got a, a triad going on at this in this house with this boy and then but instead we're going to clear them and we're going to think that it's one maybe two again as i mm -hmm. said earlier of the country's most notorious serial killers that's right. that's more possible right so yeah jeffrey dahmer being at the top of that list being one of them <laughs> jeffrey and then dahmer. and then and how many questions has uh james had here i mean campbell i mean he we've already read through i don't know how many and there's still what oh, uh 40 pages to go or something oh yeah like... oh yeah it gets better guys it yeah. gets better there's a reason why my parents wanted his uh stuff not included in the uh the sears case and the judge decided no it will actually his affidavits are very important to this case because it shows what the lifestyle of these people mm -hmm. leading up to the disappearance of this boy were and so my parents decided to drop the lawsuit. And I think that that's very telling. And then they went and paid for James's lawyer, who James was originally a main suspect. He was very much mm -hmm. looked at as a suspect. That's why we see him being brought in and different things. And he should be. I mean, who wouldn't yeah. want to ask that guy a bunch of questions? Anybody yeah. close to the family. I mean, of well, course and, they're going to do well, then, but then we see also in the beginning of my dad's where he's saying, you know, I was feeling pressure of this. I was sick of this. I was, you know... I wanted more time or he was doing all this with my son. So there's just, you know, just pointing mm -hmm. some things out. To and you got to say his regular routine down there with the sales and everything. I mean, things get, that's weird. Everything all of a sudden just changes and Adam was always with them, but he wasn't. And in the, the time, okay. just lots of inconsistencies. And I'm not saying that couldn't happen. Of course it could. I mean, we, we yeah. life happens, right? But it's interesting because why, it, like, um, like uh, Spunky D said earlier, there's a lot of details. When these people get in these closed rooms and they're nervous, they start spitting out sentences. And, and cops know this. Interrogators understand that, that when you're nervous, you're going to start saying a lot of things. And they just let you talk because a lot of times people will slip up or lie or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, and so he's adding a lot of detail that they're not even asking for, which, I mean, that, can, can that add suspicion? Of course it could. But it could just be he's nervous, too. I mean, so I could see it from both sides. I'm trying to be objective, trying to look down from that 40,000 foot view. But it, you do have to scratch your head and say, man, there's some really weird inconsistencies and things that don't normally happen on any other given day. While all of a sudden on this day, this particular day when Adam goes missing is weird things happening. Like mm -hmm. watches not working, or or they don't have a watch, or they lost a watch. Or... Was it? Right, and that was another thing to go back to their criticism initially of the police. So when you're saying, you know, he's giving this information, all of it, it reminds me another point that was brought up is that, you know, people in passing commented about like John came in to the hot. He even says how he went into the Hollywood Police Department because they weren't doing the right thing, and he took mm -hmm. over. 
and he, you know, did the flyers and he was in charge. And then when we look at his boss, again, John Monahan, we have a plane crash in Colorado prior to this where the feds are already following the plane. There's a guy, Japanese translator mm -hmm. on the plane and John Monahan's 20 something year old fiance. The plane's already being followed for cocaine and whatever else, like I said, by the feds. Then it crashes mysteriously in Colorado and John Monahan shows up. It's noted in all of those case files that we look at and compare saying that John Monahan showed up you know, he was able to identify all of the bodies in the woods after a plane crash. So he was able to identify all the bodies. He showed up with a much larger guy with him and basically took over the scene there. So, I mean, I don't know, but to me well, that sounds well, a lot like it's clean up all, stuff. But it's also know. interesting to note that Monaghan, I mean, he's this expert at identifying dead human beings apparently what because he, he he identifies adam walsh later doesn't he like he's the it's yeah. amazing how this guy yeah, pops up and he's just he's just a millionaire hotel builder guy and uh he just identifies, identifies dead people too it's he's amazing. got a knack he's knack got for a gift. no apparently <laughs> even in those records it says that he didn't recognize adam he didn't he didn't even say he at first when he saw the head to identify it said that he didn't recognize him at all all the people the day at the mall, for instance, that were asked and shown Adam's picture didn't recognize him, didn't point him mm -hmm. out as the little boy that they saw at the mall. And the security uh, guard, actually, we should pull that for one of the times, um, the security guard, well, we'll go through her affidavit, but uh, her polygraph, but she made notes specifically to the to them that the little boy that she met looked like he was in, you know, a bad way or like wasn't, you know, was neglected, wasn't taken care of um, or had something wrong with him, she said, something like that, which would then refer again back to mm -hmm. this living everyone taking care of adam does he have fetal alcohol syndrome did he have some sort of other you know spectrum thing or what was going on there as well and maybe not we're just you know once, once others are digging into it and looking they would you know see where our questioning comes from and and that's the thing i don't want to get you know to get lost in all of this i mean it's easy to this is just a story right it's been out there for 40 plus years it's a story no this was a human life this was a six-year-old child. I mean, your brother. And I mean, we have to remember that and honor his memory and, you know, give him the, due res the, you know, give him the, the respect that's due to him. And Absolutely. that's the sad part where I think that can easily get lost in the mix with all of this, you know, craziness. Um, it's yeah. like we, gotta, we need to honor his memory. And that's why that's another reason we're doing this, because he deserves that. His life I, deserves I that. I believe that. And I right. thought that one child was one child too many. And if what happened to this child is not what we've been told and it affected, you know, things like, you know, Spunky's bringing up into adoption these mm -hmm. days and we have a domestic child trafficking issue. We have, a, you know, a racket and a network that is doing this. How is that happening? We've spent the past years looking into researching, getting the proofs of living it real time in the trenches, uh, me, you know, taking photos in the conference rooms and everything like that, like really to get to the bottom of how these things have happened. What is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's involvement? Um, what are their results? Are they actually effective? Who are their connections? 
uh, you know, when we see people like Les Wexner, you know, donating to them, and then they've got the world's largest child porn database with no oversight exempt from FOIA. So it's why I'm saying that is, you know, these these trickle into larger, uh, you know, issues, and and it's you know we have to be looking at this kind of I think is important, but also because Adam deserves that. I think that you know justice for Adam is very accurate. It's why I'm here doing this. Um, you know, if I if we don't find anything out from this, if we can't figure anything out, then that's you know then that's what it is. I've lived my life for 41 years mm-hmm. with my brother passed, but he has been my heart my entire life, and I love my brother so much. I honor him no matter what you know my parents have done or what they were involved in. I'm I'm not saying that they were outright bad. I think that they could have gotten mixed up in stuff. Um, and you know, over the years, things, you know, kind of went awry possibly. I don't want to get on that, but you know, really it is to honor Adam and it is, you know, to kind of correct any of the bad. A lot of good did come from it and, and it came from, uh, Adam's story. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people want to look at my dad's work and everything, and I'm I'm not disrespecting my parents whatsoever. Um, but Adam's story is is really you know what made the big difference and what good has come. The inspiration, love, uh, people wanting to be aware, wanting to uh, do better for our children and stuff. And I'm simply here to really just hey, I'll be the bad guy if I have to say <laughs> the hard stuff so that we can get to the truth about these things. And, and for me, that's the bigger picture of what this is allowed to be created or perpetuated, uh, you know, and how, you know, whether that's really protecting children or whether it's actually harming us, which we are finding, you know, between the national center and, uh, our child protective services, it's greatly, uh, harming children and families these days. The numbers don't lie folks. I mean, just go back 40 years and (laughs) compare numbers. Has it gotten better? No, it's gotten tremendously worse. 600 times uh, greater of an issue. Mm-hmm. Ask the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, and if so many kids are being rescued and all this stuff, like why, why are the numbers so astronomically high? Uh, why, are these, why are there billions of dollars being funneled through each state's budget for CPS and for corruption in the adoption and foster care system like what why like we like that question megan i've said it a million times but that three-letter word if you just ask why you will find truth everywhere and you're just like oh my gosh like some people just don't want to know the answer to that question but this is something i think every american family and it's not just america folks but we're mainly focused on america um they need to ask this. They need to say, well, where's my money going? Where's my taxpayer money going? And why is it going to human trafficking, especially with children? Like, we need to ask that. Those are, they're difficult questions and they're things that I think most people don't want to discuss because it's, a, you know, it's like this, it's like this dirty little secret that just gets, you know, pushed mm-hmm. aside and let's just forget about it. If it's in the closet, no one will remember. But no, we're dragging it out. And everyone wants to, you know, we all know what trafficking in Bangkok looks like and this international trafficking issue, but it seems to be when it comes to domestic trafficking, especially domestic child trafficking, uh, you know, that's where it it stops for a lot of people. And that's really sad because this is our Mm -hmm. own country. These are our own families. This is your neighbor you're talking about. I mean, 
at this point we are at, at a point where it's very rare if you or someone you know has not been affected by child predator services um, or, or the family courts. Um, and so when we see things like that working hand in hand with Amber Alerts or the National Centers, any of their initiatives, any of their legislation, um, and especially, you know, with, with what my dad is setting, uh, the precedent he's setting by doing this with my case with my children is essentially behind closed doors, uh, setting precedent that children can be taken for any potential future adverse event deemed, uh, which should terrify everybody. So um, that's why I feel like it's very important in a full circle perspective to start with Adam and, you know, moving through what we're all present day dealing with. And, you know, yeah. my father being a big proponent in that, whether it's a puppet or, you know, like we know, uh, gatekeeper, whatever name you want to call it, but we're at the center of it. And I feel, you know, a duty to the American people, to my peers and to my children to, uh, you know, take a stand to take the time to, to figure that out and question it. Well, I was watching a couple of videos. I actually uploaded, I'm not going to play them tonight. They're just too long and they don't really apply to the topic, but I, I found it very interesting. You know, you go back and your dad was pushing legislation to, uh, force the FBI to enter missing kids into their databases. And most, you know, back, back then, you know, I think this was like 84 or something like that, 86, somewhere around that area. And he's, you know, I'm sure back then people were like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. You know, the FBI, yeah, they'll, they can stop this and do, well, now, I mean, we all understand who the FBI is, they're, you know, CIA, all that stuff. But then also he gets involved with Oprah's push uh, for Congress to, to create the National Registry for child mm -hmm. sex abusers. Now, again, it's set all these things on the surface sound like wonderful. Yeah, they sound wonderful. Like it sounds like, oh, great, this is going to solve a lot of problems and, and save kids from abuse and trafficking. But it's it's the opposite. It always ends up being the opposite. It's abused. Yes. And and whether the I don't know these people's hearts. I don't know Oprah's heart. I, apparently she was abused when she was a child. If that's true or not, I don't know. Um, and you know, if your dad had good intentions, they're more susceptible to being an abuser later. Go ahead. That's right. Absolutely. But it, it it's like this thing of it's all, it seems like it's always the opposite effect. Now, is that intentional? That's for you guys to decide. That's why we're presenting evidence. And maybe your conclusion at the end of this will be like, Hmm. Yeah. It does seem like there was something nefarious there. Or maybe it's like, Nope, I think they meant, you know, they were, they were trying right. to help people trying to help. Right. Kids. And that's fine. Yeah. Like I don't, I, again, my, my brother's been passed for 40 years. Like I don't, you know, I mm -hmm. don't have an attachment to whatever. <laughs> right. way that could right. Um, but I do want to bring something up. Tanya brought up a great comment on the rumble chat and it says, I want the truth guys. And I'm not even in the U S mm. I love this because we have so many people from outside the U S that are on my Twitter that are joining us. And it's, it's really awesome because this is a global issue, especially in the UK and Australia. Um, and this is bringing it up. Where's Maddie McCain? Uh, or McCann, my heart still breaks for whatever happened to her. So that's another thing of why we're going to this, because we see from Adam's case in the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, we've seen all of these other chosen missing ch children cases. Again, people will debate why are some cases chosen and not others. Mm -hmm. um, so we see these certain cases chosen, put on a mainstream level, just like Adam's was when 
you know, at that time, how, how many connections or what kind of connections did you have to have to achieve that within a day after your son's, you know, disappeared or whatever, missing? Um, I know we wish we could get that coverage over there. Oh, that, that would help tremendously. Right. And it's 2023, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, this is about, and we will in the future start looking at these different, you know, once we get past Adam's case, we'll be looking at these different cases that were chosen, like uh, Madeline McCann. And uh, again, it's her family. They were on a trip with other couples and other families. And then the kids are left in the in the hotel room, but then they're like drugged or whatever. They think they're unconscious and the parents leave them in the hotel room to go have dinner with their friends and come back. So why, why I don't want to get into it, but we have to look at that because it was a big proponent to create the International mm -hmm. Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Uh, the McCann father, actually, you can look on Google, met with Ernie Allen of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children extensively after uh, uh, Madeline went missing. Uh, there's there's very odd documentation about that, which then uh, would prompt me into uh, also bringing up Child Focus. Uh, Child Focus is a nonprofit out of Belgium, uh, which we know the ideas in Belgium and those areas about uh, pedophilia and you know child sex and all this kind of stuff. Um, Child Focus was actually, and you can look this up, they have been proven to be involved in child trafficking. Uh, the It was a father that created the organization and the story that he gave about his daughter ended up not being true. Um, and then again, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and Ernie Allen, uh, the, this father that created Child Focus was very, you know, I, I uh, how do I put this? you know, the very in awe of the National Center. And so then contacted Ernie Allen, who went to Belgium and helped basically create child focus after the National Center for Missing Exploited Children model. And, then <laughs> and why, and why would you, yeah. And that's what we have to like, we'll get into this later, but you have to say, why would you model an organization that has a failure rate of like 80% or bigger? Like, why would somebody say, oh yeah, that's that's the the thing I need to no model. One's and no one's looking that, at that, their success that proto no That prototype's working. Yeah, yeah, well, no one's looking at that. That was a big thing that even Mike and I are bringing up today. Like I was like, Mike, we need to pull like, where are the success rates? You know what are the results from the national center you know it, it guises itself as a nonprofit. it says it's a nonprofit, but yet this is this is an organization that was founded by congress is funded by congress um under senator bird and others at the time and you know this is essentially a government agency and it's it's fronting as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. it's it's exempt from FOIA. It's got every three-letter agency involved in it. All of the people connected are from Amazon, Google. Uh, you know, it's a think tank. It's become, for me, for lack of a better term, for me, I see this and with the child focus and these other places and people wanting to emulate what they're doing, That that is a global, you know, child system that you would be promoting that would be you know let's all have hubs of the same similar setup 
in these different areas um, and so on and so forth from there. So that's my personal um, criticism of that mm -hmm. and loophole, which then we see the National Center, you know, at a point having Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union <laughs> yeah. on their fundraiser, yeah. you know, and, and pride, supporting pride and, you know, and all that. And, and I'm not to say, you know, I'm not getting into that. The point is, is that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is supposed to be a non-political or exactly. non-profit organization that's only and, and solely focused on the actual real protection of children and families, not just children, the families. We need to worry about families in America. So for me, it's about, that's, that's the bigger picture of why we're here, uh, you know, breaking down and reading through these documents. And, and also people love true crime and it's been a freaking annoying, you know, debate for 42 <laughs> years. So why don't we sit and do it? Right. So anyway. yeah. Yeah. Tanya said, how are they not charged for anything? Yeah. <laughs> the million dollar question. Yeah. And there's no, now, there is no justice right now, folks. No, it's, it's absolute lawlessness. It, mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, I've watched these courts and my father be absolutely untouchable and it's wild to see how the manipulate, like you, he doesn't even have to literally threaten people there. It's already just unspoken that mm -hmm. no one will, you know, everyone's terrified. Uh, meanwhile, he's the one sitting there the most terrified out of anyone. It's, it's actually very, very sad. Um, Ernie Allen. Yeah. Ernie Allen and Hank Asher are the two names I will pound for as well as Jeff Coons. These are these are three of the major names that no one really pays attention to. Hank Asher, people will find a bunch of stuff. We'll do a show on Hank. Oh, absolutely. I, I think each of these people deserve That's a show. We're going to profile <laughs> like each yeah, of them. No... I wanted to set the tone with the records and, you know, kind of setting this basis. And then every show is not going to be reading through records, guys. We're going to start pulling in the records yeah. when yeah. we're talking about other yeah. things. But I think yeah, to sure. really you know, sit and just get everyone used to sitting and reading these documents and seeing for yourself what you would think if you read these or if mm -hmm. you were in the situation, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. And we'll have some video clips of these people and, you know, certain things they've mm -hmm. said and all that too, as we go along for sure. Yeah. Oh yes, gosh. Monty. You know, Megan, I thought one thing when we were reading, um, I forgot which document it was tonight, but when they were talking about the uh, Irish, Irish mob, Mob, or, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, mob. And I, and ironically, I was watching a video earlier today and your dad was saying, he says, yeah, they were accusing me of being in the mafia. They, like, I, I actually have it in here, but we'll play it at another date. But he okay. says they were actually accusing me of being in some, in, you know, in some mafia. He says, I'm Irish. What, how could I be in a mafia? Yeah, and then he goes around bragging like the first thing out of his mouth is always I'm a hundred percent black Irish. Like he makes a point, he's like I'm a hundred percent black mm -hmm. Irish, and I'm like, okay, Dad, yeah, and you're not. There's no mob, anything, and that's also, you know, what didn't Biden go take his Ireland trip to his homeland? And they're both God. like, you know, John Walsh is born in, you know. Auburn, New York, and in Owasco and the Finger Lakes, and then here we've got Biden with his wife in the Finger Lakes and Owasco, and I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. That's another thing I think people are going to be shocked about when they find out about the Finger Lakes. I mean, they, everybody here knows that, you know, Hunter had it on, the, on his back, that tattoo, but I don't think people understand who else is hanging out in the Finger Lakes. I mean, we, yeah, obviously the Epstein ties and Ghislaine Maxwell. Or like but, how, how far it goes back, like mm -hmm. the history of these people. Like this is not just like, 
oh, my dad, like, met Biden later in life. Like, no, these people are like Moravia right. and Auburn, New York is not a big, it's a small town. You all know each other, you know. And the okay. fact that my dad, you know, we brought up Meyer Lansky and stuff earlier and the, the Bahamas. Hey, Megan? Yeah. Megan, sorry. I'll be right back. Okay, I'll be, just okay. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Um, we brought up those affiliations, but it's also negating, um, you know, we're pulling in Mary Carter Paint uh, Company and different things from upstate New York as well. Um, my father's family had um, Callahan Trucking, uh, Callahan Masonry Supply in Auburn, New York. Uh, that's skipping back to, to different kind of history, but they were involved with pouring uh, the prison walls uh, in Auburn, New York, where uh, my grandfather was invited to the first execution. Uh, their electric chair execution was on a Sunday and he was invited because he you know, was the owner of the masonry supply. And it was actually with um, one of the top doctors that developed uh, the electric chair uh, through paperclip. So anyways, uh, just just to say that there's a lot of different connections that go back farther in generations. Uh, my father's mother, as we touched on earlier through the affidavits, uh, did come from a well-off family. It was her family, the Callahan family. Uh, that came from Ireland, from Cork County. And uh, they actually had, uh, they were very well off. And then the grandparents died and the state and the lawyers uh, basically ate up the estate. So my my uh, my father's uncles were left with uh, no money and his mother, their family. And so they went to New Jersey and started buying cement trucks and started uh, Callahan Masonry Supply. Uh, I'm just looking at chat. Did we miss anything? Because I think everyone's tired and ready. I know yeah, I, am. I don't think so. Um, yep. There's, the there's, guys, there's, yeah, there's not many people commenting. There's people watching, but no one's commenting. So I'm guessing that they're tired and um, hopefully, hopefully we put out some process. good information. It is. You know, yeah, it's a lot to process. That's why we have the replays. That's why there's comment sections for later. You don't have to say anything or you can just just watch, you know, yep. thank you for everyone that's participating. You know, again, it's, it's a lot of information. You got to process it. Sometimes you're thinking about it a day later and you're like, Oh, I do remember that. Or, you know, I did see that, or I have a second to look at, I wanted to look back at that kind of thing. So, you know, I just, just know for me, me personally, I mean, this was my, you know, growing up, this was when I was young. So, I mean, I, I remember this uh, very clearly. I just remember what it did to our neighborhood and family members and everybody was talking about it and it's mm -hmm. just odd you know you fast forward 42 years and you're like man it's not exactly like i remember <laughs> like there's some yeah. there was some missing yeah. parts like yeah that so was the biggest thing for me i'm like this was not you know this there's a lot missing from what what we were what i was told you know once i and, and that's the thing megan you did mention this before but i think it's worth mentioning again just for the people that are kind of drifting in right now and maybe haven't heard your story before Meg, rewind a couple years ago megan's talking to her dad during the pandemic and he, he she's telling him dad i'm looking into adam's records and like things aren't matching up this evidence i'm seeing different things and timelines are different and what was the response you got megan you from the number one crime fighter in america oh what are you talking about megan oh that's crazy oh blah, 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 blah. <laughs> 
run out the room. Hmm. <laughs> kind of an odd response. I'm like, okay, I thought this would be, like, cool. I thought you'd be proud. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, you know, the Epstein thing. Dad, what's the scoop? Yo, what is what is up, Dad? Like, you know, is it like McCain and, you know, said, Cindy, Cindy mm -hmm. said that you all knew about it, but there was nothing you could do about it? I'm thinking the crime fighter is going to be like, no, Megan, we tried this or we know this or this is coming. No. Yeah, uh, I mean, what, what, Megan? What do you want us to do? What's, what's anyone going to do about this? And I was like, oh. Maybe, maybe someone needed to call in on the tip line, on the tip line, and then they would have yeah. arrested. Yeah, on the tip line. <laughs> Try that. So. That was, that was another thing. All my friends, you know, different friends were reporting to the tip line, and they'd call back, and the tip line would be like, "What are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about." That's a donor platform you reported. We don't have that report anymore. We need those donors. It's it's uh, bad. We have to we have to make light of oh it. Well. I don't mean to, but you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm Irish and I gotta be sarcastic sometimes in these crazy moments. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. That was very nice. Again, Megan, thank you very much for speaking out. Gino, cheers to you. Th cheers to you. Yeah, Tanya, where are you at? Are you in I'm a, I'm assuming you're in England, somewhere over that way? I know she's across the pond somewhere. Leo Beachy, yeah, thanks guys that joined us tonight. Spunky D, yeah. great comments, great questions. Tanya as well. If we missed something, I apologize. Let's see. We answered the Maddie. Yeah, the Maddie thing is also all a scam. The whole thing leads back to NCMEC too. And the kidnapper of my son is connected to NCMEC as well. Okay, well, Spunky D, we would love to know more information about the kidnapper of your son and the kidnapping of your Absolutely. son. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Actually, we, we we know who this person is. Oh, I do? Oh, I know who that is. Why <laughs> It's hard to see your picture, but... Well, I, I can't yeah. see any face at all. Yeah. I just like, yeah. You know okay. who you are. I can't believe you. <laughs> that whole night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Tanya's in her. Australia. Gonna... She's. <laughs> she. But Danielle. What, Danielle Hi. has always has I great love questions. You, Danielle. Because you Danielle's know. been through the ringer too. She understands it from yeah. the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, please go follow over on uh, Twitter. What's her exact name? Mm. Oh. What's her? Uh, yeah. Put it's Dina Cole. Yeah. Go, Danielle. Yeah. Put it in the chat. And Danielle, you can see her yeah. on, on Rescue the Fosters, too. But, yeah, Danielle's very, she's very knowledgeable on this stuff because she's had to live it, too, just like Megan. And um, she is, yeah, the, the one mm -hmm. that involved, uh, what's-her-face Israel that uh, uh -huh. connected to the National Center that was involved in the taking of her son as well. Um, for other people who are looking for other handles or different cases, also feel free. I would love to get your opinion on uh, the account on Twitter, Teachers Against Trafficking. They're also on TikTok. Teachers Against Trafficking. Uh, it's the case of a little boy named Yeshua. He is now 16 years old and his father, Othello. Uh, he is allegedly the youngest um, U.S. whistleblower uh, regarding John Walsh, Obama, Kamala Harris, and a lot of uh, other names um specifically within the area and, and related to the case but larger political names um that trafficked him from the age of 7 to 15 in retaliation so um you know for contracts and union work that his father yeah. was involved in yeah and that is a very credible story that is there's yeah. 
Yeah. You're not going to find any holes in that one. <clears throat> no, not at As all. So. There's some, that's the thing, Megan, you know, they try to call everybody crazy that, you know, comes out against these people. That's always, that's their go-to. Like they're crazy. They're on drugs, you know, um, well, it's the playbook. It's, it is. It's, that, it's like, but you think they'd come up with something better. I don't know. They keep using the same recycled, regurgitated ones over and over again. I guess because they've worked so well for them in the past. But I think... Well, it's a Masonic you know, playbook. They have to go by the old that, There you go. There you, you know, go. So. Rituals. It's, uh, it's okay. Yeah. It's lame. They, I, I guarantee you they wish they could do something different, but mm -hmm. they can't. That's the slavery that they're, slept, they're stuck in. Um, yeah, Rachel is do real. You, there you go. Megan, do you think that, where do you think it's going? I mean, do you, like, your honest opinion, do you think all of this stuff is going to be exposed, justice is coming, or are you more uh, pessimistic and said, you know what, I don't see it getting better because people aren't waking up and doing anything? Your honest um, opinion. You know me, I'm always going to pick the middle. Mm -hmm. I don't like, you know, one way or the other, anything. Um, yeah, I think that we as the American people need to be uh, moving into a different space than we've been in in the last couple of years. I think that we're getting really stuck in, uh, you know, an echo chamber and a certain energy. And a lot of that is just this perpetual, like, Groundhog's Day, as I always say. Um, and I think that we need to move into a, a, a more positive and forward moving and thinking space. Um, you know, I think that it's definitely essential, uh, especially for the future and the, you know, the sanity of our country, if mm -hmm. you will, uh, with everything else going on. So I really wish that, you know, we could really focus on our domestic issues. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, trying out every country, worrying about itself and then seeing how that goes. You know, obviously there'd have to be compromise and different issues sure. would come up. But I'm making a point there, you know, is that I really think that, you know, if everyone, we always want to think that everyone looks at the United States for their, you know, what they're going to follow mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Um and, and that's debatable, of course, but I think that if we can't get this together in as far as child trafficking and realizing that, you know, it's our own government doing this with our own taxpaying, you know, dollars when people are losing their homes, when they can't afford groceries right now, that actually makes your children even more susceptible to being kidnapped or taken by yes. our government. And that is what is towards, you know, the Hillary Clinton, Margaret Sanger, mm -hmm. you know, a village finders cult you know these are the ways that these ideas and and these people who do believe differently than us have started to implement these things and these are not stupid people they've done it through mm. legislation they've done it through policy they've done it through their their masonic theater they've done it through msm they've done it through all of that so you know we just have to break that down i, I wish i had better words to really get people to you know, kind of ground and be like, you know what we have? Yes, we have an immigration issue. We have children being brought over the border, for example. But like I've said before, why are they being brought over the border? It's because they it's already known that we have a well-oiled child trafficking system that we're not addressing here. If it wasn't known that we had it, people wouldn't be bringing children to it to traffic them. So if we can really own this and say, 
what are the results? Where's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children when they're quoting with the FBI that 88 to 92% of child trafficking comes from the foster care system itself? Well, where's the legislation that they're doing? Where's the huge efforts to change family court and CPS? And, and that's the thing. Everyone wants it to have to be some radical thing where we have yes. rallies or we, yep. you know, we have to yep. fight and do all this. It's not a fight. You're standing logistically like, no, yep. this isn't cutting it. And, and if this was a business, you'd be bankrupt. And CPS is a business that now yep. has bounties on our children's heads and incentives and break financial breakdowns. Like this is we have to move out of the space of this drama trauma you know child trafficking porn and you know war porn and all that's all what it's become on social media now because we're complacent in that and we're asking questions or we're debating instead of getting in our local communities instead of finding out how we can talk to our politicians you know people say oh don't work within the system don't look i'm all for abolishing cps i think mm. i've been pretty clear about the fact of like i don't have tolerance for this this you know blatant child trafficking and selling and abuse and experimenting and drugging that is going on within all the system in our faces um do I think that it's going to get better? We have a lot of work to do, but we also just need the people. It's mm -hmm. I don't have an answer on whether it's it, going to get better or not. I have an answer on the fact of what we need. And it is an it's an it's a some, advocates out here fighting where there are larger platforms and things that are actually gatekeeping from us. You know, there are people in the trenches that are doing this that we need resources, we need donations. We need that. And then there's others, you know, on that are, you know, saying that they have big platforms or that they're doing this work and stuff when they actually, you know, what are they doing for these in your face, real stories and cases, not story, but cases that are going on and that could change, you know, what they say they're fighting for while, you know, taking resources and funding and things because they have a larger platform or they have a, you know, more professional look or something. I've made a sure. point to keep ours very grassroots. I'm never going to change that. I'm begging for the people to come together. Mm -hmm. um, we've got now protect American families. Gino's on the board. We've got amazing people um, and we're just developing. We're starting small, but we are looking for people uh, that would like to start chapters in their communities and their counties um, in December. Uh, Gino knows we'll be releasing the website or we'll have a lot of resources, a lot of calls to action, a lot of ways that we can actually be doing things hands-on because it is in every community, so. Yeah, to some extent, and I mean, probably a majority, I mean, most people say, well, it takes a lot of money. And, and yeah, money helps for sure. That definitely can, it's people. No. It it's it's a number. Yeah. It is. It it's a number. Up. It's a numbers game of people, human beings, actually being motivated to stop this. Because all it takes is a bunch of people banding together and saying enough is enough. We've seen this. We've seen this in lower. I always say this: the CRT thing, when that was big just a couple of years ago, and and all these mama bears were going to the school board and saying enough. We're firing you guys. You're done yeah. tonight. They ended it in a day. One day done. Yep. And you could do the same thing with this and say, you are like, you go to your state capital, you tell your, you get, I mean, get Email a bunch of people, yes, a whole bunch Email of the parents, and you, you get together and you say, enough is enough. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> you're taking, yeah. you're stealing our money and you're trafficking our children and breaking up families. Enough. 
Like it could end. It's not hard, but people have to get motivated. And that's what protect American families is really about. We really want to be giving people the very doable, you know, ways that you can get involved in your community. People have different levels of comfortability or, you know, doing this or not doing that within their community. And, um, you know, we want to give, we've been talking about this for over a year now and, and what the real needs are, but really educating on how you can do stuff locally is something I'll never stop talking about. And that's what Protect American Families is really about. Um, and, and showing people and guiding that and, and creating our own network, if you will, to take mm-hmm. over their, their beast system network, which is just literally, I said it on a, I guess I'll end with this on, on my part, but I said it on an interview maybe last week or the week before that, you know, people want to even joke about like, oh, you know, sacrificing chickens to Moloch or, you know, children to Moloch, we know in, in history and all of this. But really, we're not realizing that we are still doing that when we are giving, when we're allowing our children to be taken into a system that then profits from them. And then those that are doing it receive, you know, saviorism and salaries Mm -hmm. and promotions and certain prestige in our community as these child saviors. But then, but also the, the element of that it has to feed itself more and more every year to to survive and to get bigger you need more children for more funding to or more statistics to create the money and the funding so if we can take that you know esoteric kind of concept or more of a religious you know sacrificial kind of context and actually apply that to how that's happening in 3d here in reality you know that would it's it's a very easy correlation yeah what you just laid out is the nuts and bolts of this whole thing I mean, that's what drives it. Mm-hmm. The numbers. It, it's it's not hard. It's not. This is not rocket science. I remember when I first started finding out about this, Megan. I thought it was a lot more complicated. Like I was yeah. like, man, I'm missing something. Like there's there's. But it's not. It's it's just the, they keep like you said. They just keep oiling the same they gears in that machine. It. They grifted and groomed the public. We've got a completely different narrative. They turned us on our own neighbor. Oh, they mm-hmm. they must have done something wrong if their kids were taken or oh, there's more to the story that we don't know. Or they're literally, they've given you the script. It's just like social workers. It's in their training. They've been, they've, they're given the the answers to get away with the hindering a case plan or, you know, oh, all of a sudden making an evaluation not count. And I mean, their hand, it, it, it's given on how to, yeah. to achieve this. So it makes it very easy. But really when you break it down and you actually ask what it's doing, and how effective it is it's literally a, a failing business that is highly uh profiting off of the demise of our children especially the breaking up of our nuclear families so sad so sad i don't know i know megan won't quit i know i'm never going to quit and i know danielle will never quit sylvia will never quit all the people we work with because enough is spunky spunky d <laughs> i'm gonna freaking kick her butt <laughs> it is funny. And she's laughing right now too. She's still laughing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But isn't it? It's this like it should drive everybody. I mean, because all of us have children or or know people that have children. Could they, children impact all of our lives? Yeah. And they're like they're so innocent, and it's like you. I don't know how 
that can't affect you. And I'm not saying that everybody's got to do a podcast or crazy because yeah, America like, is like, I'm going to wait until it's on my doorstep. Like, I mean, I'm not saying other people haven't said, and it's just really freaking nuts to me that like, we'll let it get that close. I mean, we're talking about our children and it reminds me, there are so many similarities to Nazi Germany prior to Hitler taking complete control. They were already doing all these little incremental um, steps towards, you know, this this global governance, right, and, and controlling everything. And that's exactly like what's happening. It's just these small little steps that they've implemented over decades. And now we're getting very close to their goal, their achievement of what they really want, which is to not have families and that you are... A government child. Everybody yeah. will, will, yep. Into the system. You're born yeah. into the system, which we already have children that are born into the system. And do we see how that's panning out mm. in society? Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's not be idiots. This is Occam's razor. Let's keep it simple. They mm -hmm. want all these distractions. They want, you know, these ideas. And no one in this is actually thinking about the perspective of these children being put through this. Like, literally prisoners before mm -hmm. like from birth on and you know that brings into why we're doing this kind of stuff from adam's case was really perpetuated to you know get your child fingerprinted okay so that sounds really great oh my gosh i have to be so safe like you don't even question because you're you that's what you do right this is part of like this is a, a symptom from the original military industrial complex from people like my dad's parents generation right like you know the war and if you pay your bills you get your vaccines mm -hmm. you pay your taxes you have 2.5 kids in the white picket fence then you're considered a good person in society it doesn't really matter the rest right so you know we, we just have to be looking at you know how what we've allowed to happen and then if it's actually being effective or if it's actually ruining us and making us actually you know more susceptible mm-hmm all right. Sorry. Well, we'll end on one on that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note. No, it's just time. This is actually it is time. It is time. Like, you know, I'm sick like of it. We're moving into a space. I think that, you know, it is hard to shift a perspective from something that you've known your whole life. Whether you thought child protective services was great whether you want you know always grew up wanting to be a social worker whether you thought john walsh was amazing and you grew up watching him since you were little i i did too he, he was my everything mm -hmm. right um so you know we just have to ground and say we can deal with anything because take then a we deep breath yeah and we can do better and this is a positive thing i i will i'll end with this I've said this before and I'll say it again. If I, since I was little, I used to always just ask the Lord, no matter what direction I got in, in it, but I would always ask the Lord, like, please just show me my true purpose. And if speaking up for children and fighting for the protection of children is my purpose and it's the hill I have to die on or whatever, I have to do it till I'm not, I can't do it no more. I, I am honored. I mean, yeah. I, I really hope that other people can kind of come to that grounding and say, we all have a purpose in life. We have multiple purposes and that's fine. But if I can get involved in my community and how I can help children genuinely, you know, that's an incredible blessing, you know, in its own. And you will, you know, feel that and, and see that even internally. So I'm very grateful. I feel very blessed. We're going to show up every day, even though 
we know we know the roller coaster that it's been it's, and, it's difficult and, i'm not gonna lie yeah i mean it's challenging Oh, and gosh. you know when you're and, and, Gino and i'm like i'm gonna puke this i can't take this anymore <laughs> i'm not i can't do that i can't believe they're dealing with these evils i'm crying i'm laughing i mean it's been it's it's, been a thing, it's but. see it's all it's multifaceted i mean you've got the spiritual side too and that's the side that i think a lot of people probably ignore uh, we don't obviously but i mean there's a lot of people that just don't even understand that or don't care to understand it but there's i can tell you in my own personal life since I've got into this. And this doesn't compare to what Megan's had to endure, what Danielle's had to endure, all these other parents. I have been under severe spiritual attack since I got involved in this. Not that I, my life was perfect before this or whatever, but I can tell you, darkness has definitely tried to creep in and do a lot of disturbing things. I won't let it because I know how to fight against that stuff. But just like you said, Megan, I'm blessed. I don't care because I know God's got, me, got my back. He's got my family's back. And I, and I'm not going to let the devil win. Like, sorry, no. not today. What, what's that saying? Not today, Satan, <laughs> whatever yeah, they always say. Like, Satan. It's not going to happen. I'm, it's that like, was like my I'm... first uh, Telegram channel. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> Satan. Yeah, when I was like revealing all the pop culture, all the rituals and satanic mm. stuff in our pop culture, it was not today, Satan, for beginners. That's what it's called. <laughs> 101, not today, Satan, yeah, 101. 101. <laughs> They didn't like that too much, so probably not. Yeah. That, was, that was part of it. <clears throat> well, um, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Uh, you know, it's episode two, so thanks for the grace and thanks for the support. Um, again, as we keep saying all week, it'll be up. Please, you know, share this out uh, with any of your buddies that you think would dig it, or an ex-law enforcement, or anything like that. Just share it out and. You know, feel free to comment. We've been going back and looking, mm -hmm. you know, tonight, I apologize. We didn't, you know, kind of go over maybe some previous ones, but I think we had addressed them well, uh, the last one at the end of the last one, but um, please feel free to add anything. Um, again, you can find both of us on Twitter uh, at our handles. Mine's Megan Walsh underscore Gino. You want to say yours at, for the people? At, at did D-I-D underscore G-I underscore N-O at did you know um and then also if you guys wouldn't mind please this would help us tremendously um and last week you guys man you're killing it with the thumbs up yeah if you can do that again tonight over there on rumble that helps a ton with the algorithms because i am noticing the views going up and all that stuff and i, and I always have to say this because this is my disclaimer i don't care about views personally like i don't i'm not in this to like become famous or something or some famous rumbler or youtuber or something like i don't care about that stuff this is about saving children and getting megan's story out which i believe is like critical to this nonsense ending so if you can please click on that thumbs up that would be amazing um, also over there on the foxhole if you can click on the red pill that would help us tremendously too and if you feel so inclined to give to megan and her cause and what what she's had to endure uh, trust me, we, <laughs> money helps all of us folks. Like I know, <laughs> like we can all use an extra buck. So if you can send anything, uh, PayPal, Megan Walsh consulting or the, or her cash app dollar sign M Walsh consulting. It's right there at the bottom of the screen. Uh, that would help tremendously and she would definitely appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of us, like I said, out here in the trenches and, you know, there's a lot of women and mothers that people aren't aware of because our stories have been being gatekept 
um, by mainstream media and others. So we really do need resources. I wish that it was something, you know, more fancy or more, you know, prettier. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but, you know, we need resources, money, um, any donations of cars or different things for, for mothers and survivors, because when we do speak out, you know, everything is taken from us and we can't work. Uh, you know, I've been blessed that we've been able to, uh, you know, do things on the side and find other lines of work and different things like that. So God is good, but we do need, uh, we need donations. We need resources. We need people to come forward. It's not just, you know, mm -hmm. about money and all of that, but unfortunately the nature of this beast because that's what they do have over us at this point. They have money, they have the courts, they have the connections, and they wanna make sure because they play dirty that we don't. Um, and it's very real. Um, that's a different show and a different time, but we appreciate any contribution. Yes. Again, as, as big or as small, um, you know, I know I have 34,000 followers on my Twitter. So if everyone donated a dollar a month- One dollar, oh man, you could change the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's mm -hmm. it's to help other survivors. It's for us to continue mm -hmm. uh, pushing forward with Protect American Families. We had great donations. Uh, you know, when I put a call out needing uh, the money for the paperwork to establish it, we had amazing founding donors uh, donate. You know, anywhere from ten to you know two hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. It was amazing, and all of them will be listed uh, on the website when it's launched in December. So we really thank them and, and honor our founding uh donations and uh we're gonna keep doing that we're gonna leak it you know give you bits if we have to raise money for something we're gonna tell you what that's about and how much it is and um you know if you want to continuously donate a dollar a month or things like that it will be available when we uh, have the website coming out so until then yes we have cash app at m walsh consulting uh, PayPal is Megan Walsh Consulting. Uh, I think some people were having some trouble with it. If you do, uh, you can utilize family, farm, and faith, and spelled out A-N-D. So family, farm, and faith at gmail.com. That will also go to the same uh, PayPal account. Excellent. So we thank everyone. Excellent. Uh, Bluebee, thank you so much for the, the uh, double shades there on Foxhole. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have a blessed night. I'm back tomorrow night with The Blender, my friend Michael and I, Michael from Texas. That's always a fun show. I love doing The Blender. Um, yeah, I don't know what we're going to discuss tomorrow. We, it's fun, but we do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, so look for that tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Insight Channel, on the Rumble and in the Foxhole. Megan, always a pleasure. Always. I value our friendship and uh, look forward to fighting in the trenches with you as we go forward and, and win this battle yeah. against these evildoers. These <laughs> right. We're doing it. Yeah. We're doing on, it. It's... On your way out, folks, please click that thumbs up if you could do that for us. We would please definitely appreciate it. Please share and like, guys. Please. Share and like. Get it out. Do the <laughs> yeah. thing. Do the thing. Do the thing. All right. God bless everyone. We'll see you next week. Have Thank a great you, night. You're welcome.